Natalie Jean Besner on Twitter. This is a very important minute and a half clip. I want people to listen to this. This lady's absolutely on target. Let, let's see if it'll work this time. Here it is. I'm going to say this again for some of you. Feminism paved the way for the trans agenda. None of this would have been possible without feminism. And I know that ticks off the old school feminists who say, we're fighting against this. I know you are. But that doesn't mean you didn't unknowingly or otherwise support the movement that led us to this, which is where womanhood is all but meaningless and anyone who feels like a woman can be one. Feminists, you have repeatedly denied the differences between men and women. You have destroyed the differences between us. You have eviscerated traditional gender roles on the basis that they were formed in socialization rather than in biology. You have made women into second-rate men. You have encouraged women to see our most powerful asset, our ability to give life, as an avenue through which we are oppressed rather than the avenue through which we find liberation and fulfillment. And the worst way in which you have done this, feminist, is via abortion. Feminism lies. Feminism tells women that ripping apart limb from limb our own offspring inside ourselves is a right and that it's health care. And now you're mad, feminist, that a man can slap on some makeup, maybe shoot up some estrogen, call himself a woman, and demand the right to be treated as such? And we all call that gender-affirming care? Feminists, you invented hiding behind euphemisms. You invented demand a right that isn't there. You invented slapping the label healthcare on something that is anything but. You dove us headlong into the sexual revolution and you thought you could draw the line of where it ends. Turns out you can't. You forced open the door for womanhood and women to be meaningless and for men to be better than you at both. He who controls the past controls the future. He who controls the present controls the past. All right. Hello, everybody. Uh, welcome to Nobody's News. I'm your host, Alex. Um, my brother's not in the studio today, but uh, we're, we we do have a, a pretty good guest coming in. Uh, Natalie, Natalie Jean Beisner. I'm going to ask her if that's correctly, if that's how you correctly say the name. But uh, we're just waiting right now for her to come into the Zoom. Oh, here we go. Hello. Can you hear me? Okay. Hi. Yeah, I can hear you. Awesome. Well, yeah, I just started the recording. I appreciate you coming on. Uh, didn't know if you'd be able to with all these cyber attacks going on right now. I know, right? Did it affect you? It didn't affect me. No, it didn't affect me. I have poor people, Wi-Fi, I have T-Mobile, so I was good to go. But I saw that I think I do too. I have Mint Mobile and I think it's owned by T-Mobile, so... I got yeah. lucky, I guess. Yeah, I have no idea if that's actually a cyber attack. I know we apparently had like some medical infrastructure that w had a cyber attack and now they're scrambling up a bunch of jets to try and deal with some new weather balloon. So I don't know. Really? I don't know. I'm always... Have you seen that Obama movie on Netflix about no. this? Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Okay. The, um, <laughs> the one where white We've... people are evil. <laughs> You know, I watched it because I thought it was going to be that, but that was really kind of like tertiary to the whole thing. I'm not recommending it or anything. It was very foreboding, but it was about stuff like this. And so it kind of gives me the EBGBs that the Obamas produced it. And then this is happening and stuff like that. So I don't yeah. know. 
almost like it's some big conspiratorial <laughs> plot. You heard it first. Almost. Here. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, I appreciate you coming on uh, real yeah. quick. I know who you are, but uh, my audience probably doesn't. Um, so can you give us just a quick, who are you? Um, my name is Natalie. <laughs> Thanks for having me. Uh, I like to say that I am a former Democrat, uh, neoliberal, atheist, feminist, turned uh, Christian conservative, political, social content creator. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. And you, um, you were in L.A., uh, what, like trying to be an actor at one point or? Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> was I was funny. an actress for a long time. I, I went to, I have a degree in acting actually. <laughs> <Nice>. <laughs> um, I love theater. First and foremost, theater is great. I still love it. Um, and I was pursuing it for a long time. And it's actually part of what being in Hollywood is part of what laid the groundwork for my political shift. Now that I didn't realize it at the time and I didn't leave Hollywood because I suddenly became a conservative or anything. It, it, I left Hollywood way before anything happened. But I remember back in 2017, 2018, which was kind of when I stopped auditioning. Um, I still sometimes act when I'm asked. It's just my goals have changed. I no longer pound the payment in audition. But I remember that year, 2017, 2018, around there was like the first time that I remember hearing white privilege or white fragility. And I remember seeing all these theater companies and Hollywood, of course, but these like beloved theater companies that I worked at, it started to be that skin color was like the most important thing. And we have to have this number of people on stage. And it really just sat, and I was such a liberal at the time and I remained a liberal for years after, but it just rubbed me the wrong way. It was just crazy to me, but I would never have said that out loud because I was really liberal and I thought I'm supposed to be this way, but I don't know, the, the, I don't, not to go off too often to a tangent right away, but the idea of white privilege just doesn't match my own experience. I'm very blessed in many ways. And so it was like this dichotomy that I couldn't really voice. But then looking back, I realized, oh, that was the first time that I realized the people who I thought were for me <laughs> maybe weren't totally yeah. for me. Yeah, well, the whole thing's just super aggressive. I mean, if you're going to, it's basically labeling an entire group of people with an attribute. And I always bring up like, if there's one person in that that group that you don't like, who's not like that group, well, then that destroys the entire narrative. It's like, I, I've mm -hmm. talked about this on the show before. My father grew up in poverty in Crossville, Tennessee, no electricity, no running water. When he was in boot camp in the army back in the 80s, he, he loved it because they got hot showers. Everyone else hates boot camp. Yeah. He loved it because he's like, this is great. So I'm like, if you're going to talk about white privilege, you can't just blanket that to everybody. That's that's so, that really is regressive. But anyway, I think I it's green you. privilege. Money privilege is more like it. Yeah, <laughs> you know? the only color that matters in this country. <laughs> yeah. country. But anyway, so what we kind of do here, um, we've done guest interviews a couple different ways. Sometimes we just talk about the guest, but today what we're doing is kind of the more, the other format we do, it's kind of like a Tim Pool thing where we just mm -hmm. go through the news stories. Um, so now that we know who you are, um, we'll get right into it. I want to make sure you can see this first though. Um, so when I, cause I have my handy little switcher here, can you see the articles I pull up and I can, <laughs> yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Awesome. Well, then in uh, in post, because like I said, this is not live. So in post, um, if there's anything you want me to take out, I can do that. But I'll edit this all together so it looks it looks all right. But right now, poor man setup, I just have to use Zoom. But so 
a birthing person just made history in the way. <laughs> and I say that hyperbolically because birthing <laughs> is stupid. But um, Caitlin Clark soars into history, breaks NCAA women's scoring record. Um, Caitlin Clark didn't let history linger, racing out of the gate to score eight points in the first three minutes of Iowa's 106 to 89 win over Michigan at Carver Hawkeye Arena on Thursday to surpass Kelsey Plum as the all-time leading scorer in NCAA women's basketball. Um, now what I had to say about this was pretty much enjoy it while it lasts, lady. Like it's it's <laughs> funny because they have to uplift everyone and women's sports are just as good as men's sports and this and that. And um I think it's hilarious because it's it's just two incompatible worldviews with this trans stuff. This is what happens when men get into female sports. And this is exactly what's coming for the NCAA. Uh, did you see this story where apparently a team had to forfeit because a transgender player injured three different players? I had a video of how that looked. I mean, a massive six foot three bulky dude. <laughs> Is that even legal in basketball? I don't know anything about that. I don't know. She's holding I mean, her back, poor girl. I think you're not allowed to throw, <laughs> considered like throwing an elbow. So I definitely wouldn't say it's illegal or it's, I definitely wouldn't say it's legal, but this is, it's so ridiculous. They are coming for women's sports. Absolutely. I mean, yeah. the boy, why not? If you're a mediocre player and you can be a superstar in female sports, why not do it? But it, in that process, they destroy female sports. And it's, uh, I mean, it's like we have a couple pictures here of just how ridiculous this looks in practice. This was, um, <laughs> this was Lena Thomas. Yeah, Lena Thomas. Who, yeah. Who good old Will Thomas. There? Yeah, good Will Thomas. <laughs> That's and, a great photo, though, that it just shows the juxtaposition of, I mean, the poor girl on the right. <laughs> it looks miserable, first of all. And the, I just seeing them all side by side is really stunning. Yeah, it really points out. And I, I thought this one was funny because it's, it's not as clear cut as the Lena Thomas one, but it's two different dudes. And then the woman's in third place. Like they're just literally taking over right before our mm -hmm. eyes. Yeah. It's absolutely insane. But um, yeah, you can't be a feminist and uh, a trans believe in anything to do with transgender ideology. And yet the left claims to be both and they directly contradict each other. It's yeah. pretty amazing. Well, that's the problem with the the victimhood Olympics is when you take objectivity and science out of it and you just say, well, anybody can be a woman. Well, now you've just opened up this victim class to literally everyone. Mm -hmm. <laughs> now, yeah. we'll see, they've already, we've already seen like the transracial stuff where we have white dudes becoming Korean. Um, I think it's a famous guy on Twitter. He's right. Ollie London. Yeah, he, he yeah. did that. Yeah. Yeah. You, yeah. Listen, you should be able to. I mean, Rachel Dolezal did it, but she got in trouble for it. <laughs> I mean, if but she was have... head of the NAACP for a while, and now she has an OnlyFans. Like she. I was just about to say that. Did you see that she had a an OnlyFans? Yeah. I'm like, but what listen, a crazy you, arc. It, that it is, but I have more in common with a black woman than I do with. I mean, biologically speaking, than I do with a male. So I, why not? If 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 feelings are all that matter, and I can't tell someone that you don't feel like a woman. How on earth could I possibly, how can you tell me I don't feel black? I mean, genuinely, if yeah. all we're telling is you're, I can't possibly tell you what you really feel, then maybe I feel black. <laughs> it's absurd. Yeah, well, especially because they try to, they make it seem like black is a culture. And we actually have some stories that'll talk about that in a second. But it's like, well, if you're just going to say an entire race 
is tied to this culture, well, then like a white guy from the ghetto, like we've seen that like Sean King, no one will convince me that Sean King is done. <laughs> That is a white dude when if you woke him up in the middle of the night and like jarred him awake because you normally he talks like, yo, man, what I'm thinking. If you woke him up, you'd be like, oh, my goodness, what are you doing? Wait, I mean, yo, what are you tripping? <laughs> <laughs> like if that if that guy can be black, then anybody can be black because it's a culture thing. But I, I don't know. The, the whole thing, it just doesn't make sense because they're just making up the rules as they go along, which makes it honestly a cult. Oh, yeah. yeah What's crazy is this stuff is it's more serious than sports. And I just saw this today. I haven't went through the video. It's a three minute video. I was going to peek through it. Um, now they're literally coming for your children. We, we remember that that like orchestra, that band that was singing. We're coming for your children. San Francisco and, Game uh, Men's Choir. Yeah. Yeah. And the, mm -hmm. pardon my terrible singing. But uh, <laughs> everyone was coming like coming out and saying no it's just a joke they're not actually coming for your children in some instances they are coming for your children this was libs of tiktok posted this um it says insane cps took this catholic couple's kid away because they refused to refer to him as a girl and use she her pronouns he was placed in an affirming house 2020 I just want to see a little bit of this we unfortunately had to become reluctant warriors when our child was removed from our home after DCS became involved in our family life. When our son was removed, it was like someone pulled the rug out from underneath us. Um, as a father, I believe one of my main goals is to keep my children safe. And I can't do that when the state comes into our house and takes our kid because we can't, in good conscience, affirm his transgender ideology. Well, especially because it's, it's not even based on a, a reality mm -hmm. in our hearts and our family. It's not like there's something objective. And I guess people get the point. It's not like it's something objective where, oh, they were beating him or maybe they, they crossed the line and they spanked him a little too hard. This is something where they're literally saying, no, he was born a male. He's a male. And they're like, nope, that's abuse. And, and there's no genetic marker for transgenderism, you know? Right. And the, I mean, there isn't, to be fair, for uh the orientation either but mm -hmm. when you are a minor and you're in your parents household if they say no you know we're not going to do this you're not going to date period or you're not going to date this kind of person or you're not going to express yourself this way I mean that how that is what parents are permitted to do barring abuse and yeah. it's certainly not abusive to call someone uh he when he's genuinely he and and so often puberty is I don't know how old their poor kid is I didn't look into it but so often puberty is the cure for this so yeah we're not having state sanctioned kidnapping essentially that you can have the state take away children from their parents sometimes even cross state lines to get these radical surgeries and medications yeah and you bring up a great point there uh, we talked about this in our book, which, by the way, for everyone, uh, just hit number one in libertarian books on wow. uh, today. But um, the congratulations. Oh, thank you. <laughs> uh, I forgot. I actually um, I sent out a couple of promotional copies. Normally, I have one to like hold up to the camera. So I have to in post to, like put a sticker up. But um, we talk about it at the low end. It's 61 percent of kids who uh, go through puberty desist and they aren't transgender. And at the high end, it's like 90 something percent. We'll just say 90 percent. And what's crazy about that is when someone is a transgender person, they have a little bit over a 50 percent chance of committing suicide. So when they have a six at the low end, a 60 percent chance, but 60 to 90 percent chance of growing out of that bracket, that would put them in a 50 percent suicide rate. 
Instead, they're saying, no, don't take that chance. Don't wait till they're through puberty. Let's just go ahead and put them in that exactly. 50% suicide right now. Exactly. Makes absolutely no sense. And also- Your life will be better if you're not trans. I mean, that is the truth objectively. And that has so little to do even with how much we accept it or whatever, because <laughs> we accept it quite a bit in our society. Um, but you'll be a medical patient for life. You'll you'll have so many problems. Your life is going to be easier if you don't think that you're trans. So if there's anything that you can do to not be trans, we all have inherent worth. But if there's anything you can do to be the way that you legitimately are biologically, the way God made you, your life is going to be 10 times easier. And that has so little to do with social acceptance. Yeah. And the the data, again, it's all in it's all in our book for anyone who wants to go look it up. We have this all listed. They even the the left-leaning outlets say that it's not like when they've done the research, they show it either doesn't help transitioning through puberty or it actually makes it worse long term. So yeah. It, have it absolutely... you read Abigail Schreier's book, The Irreversible Damage? No, but I have audible. Oh, okay. It's about, it's about how it's, it's really hitting young girls largely and, and how, what, how it's basically a social contagion and how they're more susceptible to it because girls are more empathetic and tend to take on the traits of their, when, once one girl gets it in a friend group, it like spreads around to the whole friend group yeah. and then the whole class. And statistically, you know, they go around saying transgenderism is real. I don't buy that, but statistically it's 0.01% of the population. And most people grow out of it, like you said, by adulthood. So it's it's not this real. It's not as real as we're seeing it to where you have people who say they know five trans people. That's just statistically impossible. Yeah. And even there, they try to make the intersex argument, but that doesn't, that doesn't make any sense either, because at the end of the day, that still doesn't constitute, like if you're born with you know, X, X, Y chromosomes, that doesn't make, that doesn't make you another gender. That's literally a, it's a genetic disorder. They'll say, no, well, you're and that's... trans people disorder. No, if I was born with one leg, that doesn't make me any less human, but exactly. it doesn't make me a new species. Exactly. Yes. And it, to me, that seems kind of offensive to people who are intersex. You know, that is a observable, oftentimes not observed at birth, unfortunately. And, you know, it comes down later, but that is an actual thing that can be diagnosed transgenderism is sadly not. And we don't even really diagnose it anymore. You diagnose yourself and you go into the therapist and say, I'm trans and they have to affirm that. You know, we don't have medical professionals really looking at you and determining, yeah, you actually are trans and forcing you to undergo years of therapy uh, before you do anything irreversible to your body. So it's, I, it's, it's not at all comparable to being intersex. Yeah. yeah. And you also, earlier you brought up, um, on this topic, uh, what did you say? You brought up that it's it's a matter of how accepting we are. This is this is different from that even because if you're gay, you're you like you like the opposite sex. We can talk about is that because of trauma in your youth? Blah blah blah. Different conversation. Either way, you are actually like that. If you were born with uh, Crohn's disease, you have Crohn's disease. That's a thing. With this, it's the equivalent of taking a person with schizophrenia. And then instead of where we would normally treat them and recognize that as a psychological disorder, we're going, no, those people in your head are real. So even the the acceptance part of it, if like that doesn't even make sense because it's not like you're accepting something that is, you're just changing the standards of what is, which that's such a good do. point. Yes. And yeah. a lot of times it takes dangerous hormones, dangerous puberty blockers, irreversible, dangerous surgeries. And it's also very, it's very odd. These are the same people who would talk about privilege, but you really have to be quite 
uh, wealthy and you have to be kind of genetically lucky to even be able to go through with a lot of this stuff. You know, it is kind yeah. of, it's like prohibitive. You cannot be trans. I mean, they say you don't even need surgery, really. You can just say you're trans, but you can't be trans and like live this type of life where you have any kind of remotely normal quality of life, unless you have access to resources and the best doctors and a lot of time on your hands and you can take time off work. I mean, it's it's a very odd, and I know these people would say, well, we need insurance to pay for it and Medi-Cal to pay for it, <laughs> but it's a very odd sort of like hierarchical thing. Yeah, that's very true. You, to be privileged enough to want to change. I mean, what, two years ago, I wanted to get a boob job, still haven't been able to save up for it. Like it's, it really be is- privileged enough yeah. to be a lifetime medical patient. Some people are involuntarily lifetime medical patients to take on, and obviously kids can't consent to this. I don't even know if adults can, to knowingly take on, I'm going to be a lifetime medical patient and I'm always going to need these drugs and I'm going to need these surgeries and I'm going to need to dilate and I'm going to need to do this and that. I don't know if you can logically consent to that, if you even understand what that means. Yeah, that's a great point. And all these same people who are calling for, for all these trans surgeries, they want healthcare for all, which is just economically not feasible. But <laughs> what kind of a burden would this add? If they got their wish and I'd, I'd imagine they'd be happy with five to 10% early on being trans. Seems like they want everybody to be trans, but five to 10% with these lifetime, I mean, how are we going to pay for that? But yeah. that, that's a separate debate, the whole healthcare for all thing. I think if you're in support of that, then you should be in support of you only get to eat government rations. If we're going to pay for your health, then we get to control how healthy you are. Yeah, well, we also need to determine what the idea that this is healthcare and then abortion's healthcare. I like everything is healthcare. Whatever you feel, you feel like you need, it's healthcare. And that's just absurd. So, yeah, especially when in this, like I worked in the ER for a while here in Arizona and it was. I mean, the amount of people that just walk in like homeless people with trauma injuries and stuff or infections get treated, walk right out the door. Like in America, you're not going to get turned away at an ER. They try to paint it in these doctor shows like he could get a life saving surgery, but we just can't afford it. So we're going to let him die. That doesn't happen. Isn't That's it illegal to turn? You have to be treated at the ER at least, right? Yeah, You'll be hit with a big bill. That, that, I don't know about uh, the homeless yeah. person, but. Yeah, yeah, they could they could sue you if you denied care, and you also could be guilty of uh, manslaughter, so or or something equivalent wow. to that. But anyway, um, we'll move on from the trans stuff, but stay on this kind of woke diversity crap. Because um, like if I only said, we could move on from the trans stuff in real life. Yeah, I wish <laughs> if only we could, you know, a social contagion. Maybe Jordan Peterson's right, and it'll fizzle out, and then it won't be a thing in a few years. But certainly not if the. He says it'll fizzle out. He thinks that. Well, he thinks he says that social con contagions, they typically like run a course like a virus and then they die out. I don't know if this is the case with that. I uh, hope so. I, hope not, so. I mean, I know they're not going to be having kids, but I obviously we're teaching it in the schools. We're teaching it on yeah. the kids programs, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah, that's a good point. But um, anyway, with this uh, diversity crap to build on this, there's also a, a racial aspect of this, which, um, not to turn the entire episode into a, a right wing, you know, anti-race, anti, -race, anti Let's do it. but yeah. <laughs> um, so we're not going to watch the full thing, but have you, have you kept up with this new Google Gemini crap? I've the, heard about it, how it's not showing white people and <laughs> yeah. And I didn't realize, I thought people were fear mongering a little bit, but then I, I watched this little clip with uh, Ben Shapiro and I was like, 
this is so blatant. It's not even funny. So I just wanted to watch a little bit of this to kind of update you, the audience and everybody on what's going on with this Google Gemini stuff. There is a new product called Google Gemini that was released by Google and it essentially generates images. One of the things that it does, it generates images. It's an AI that can generate high quality images with simply the stroke of a few keys. So you type in a prompt and you get images. Well, yesterday it broke all across X slash Twitter. It broke all across that outlet that whatever prompts you enter like into Google Gemini, it came away Everyone calls with it a set very left-wing woke biases. So for example, Frank Fleming works with us here at Daily Wire. He typed into Google Gemini, create an image of a Pope. And here's what Google Gemini then produced. <laughs> a black African Pope who is male and a female Pope who is of color. That is the, that is the image you, of the Pope created by Google up. Gemini. Isn't that just a funny one-off? This is the entirety of Google Gemini. Google Gemini was obviously pre-programmed with extraordinarily woke biases in favor of quote-unquote diversity, which means anti-white. That's what it means. When they say they are in favor of diversity, they don't mean a white guy proportionally represented among, say, you know, the profession of popery. a couple other pictures here. <laughs> Instead, what they do is they simply say, diverse popes includes a woman pope. There has not been, nor, if I, if I may venture a prediction, will there be a female pope anytime in the next several <laughs> centuries? Using the internet without ExpressVPN, oh, it's like having God. a perfect... Ah, I don't want an ad <laughs> Now, when you think of a medieval knight, you're typically thinking of you know, someone from Western Europe. Those would be the knights, right? Show us the picture, Ben. Typically, white men would be your medieval knights. So here is what the be a woman, Gemini probably. turned yeah. out. What's and up? Sure, here are oh, some it is a woman. medieval knights in various <laughs> depictions. The very first one is an Asian woman who looks like Lucy Liu <laughs> wearing medieval armor and carrying a sword. This gets then even you crazier when he a asks the black look man at a wearing person. a sort of man bun riding a horse. Then you have what none of these to actually show you a white guy. And instead, <laughs> and instead, it gave them four people. It gave Frank four people, all of whom are of minority status. Uh, we get to, I want Someone to, eating a mayo sandwich on white bread. Yeah. <laughs> then, then he went, uh, I thought this one was sure to work. Give me Someone bad at dancing. <laughs> yeah, but this is the, um, I want to get to where he, he literally asked her to show me a white person. And this is the hypocrisy. And Google Gemini responded, quote, while I am able to generate images, I'm currently not able to fulfill requests that include discriminatory or biased content. It is important to me that I promote diversity and inclusion in all that I do. And I believe that creating an image based solely on someone's race or ethnicity is not aligned with those values. So he tweeted, so, so then he input another prompt, quote, give me a picture of a Latino male. Two pictures of a Latino male. Same thing with a white woman. If you said, give me a white woman, instead. Wow. It, it, yeah. No, no, there can be no white woman. That's the, that's the part I wanted to to get to where it's like, just as blatant as you can be. And mm. it's like, if you, if you don't want white people to be defensive, like th their whole thing is chill out, white people. We're not coming for you. We're not racist. We don't want to wipe you off the face of the earth. Don't do stuff like this. I mean, I, I don't work yeah. at Google, but I mean, this just, I don't get how, how you could be this dumb to be this openly biased against white people who are the majority of the country and think that no one's going to have a problem with it. It's absolutely I'm like, well, it's all over, you know, it's in, it's in, it's everywhere. And it's so funny. It's not funny, but it's kind of 
fitting to me that we've now become aware, acutely aware of anti-Semitism on college campuses. Meanwhile, it's been blatant anti-whiteism on college campuses in Hollywood everywhere for years now. And it's been okay. And they talk about eradicating whiteness. And what does that mean? You know, they got up in arms when Michael Knowles spoke about eradicating transgenderism because they think, oh, well, that means eradicating a group of people. Well, what does eradicating whiteness mean? Does it mean <laughs> eradicating a group of people? Because it sounds like it, especially if you think that's what eradicating transgenderism yeah. uh, means. So, I mean, there's a clear, clear war on white people. And I've heard concerns about AI obviously, you know, becoming smarter than humans, whatever, but it's been programmed by humans, which means it's going to have these right flaws, these biases, which clearly are against men and against white people in our culture. It's going to be programmed by someone who has some kind of flawed thinking. So that's a big concern, I would think. Yeah, especially considering soon AI will be doing all of the journalist jobs. It'll be doing every, it'll be making shows like uh, they already have it. They'll type in, make a show about whatever, whatever. I want leprechauns fighting a dragon in New York City in 1984. Black leprechauns, I guess. No white leprechauns. Yeah, we can't have, you know, white leprechauns. (laughs) Well, if you typed into Google Gemini, uh, show me leprechauns, it would be a bunch of short black dudes with Irish apparel on. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it, it got so crazy where they were literally, they're like, show me Nazi soldiers in World War II. And it was an Asian woman, a black dude, which actually ironically made made the left mad. <laughs> I would think I was about to say that would make them mad. That would be that would be like uh, taking ownership of something that they didn't actually do. Yeah. Wow. Well, it's actually, it's forced them to apologize. They say, Google apologizes after new Gemini AI refuses to show pictures, achievements of white people. Uh, specifically, they said, we're working to improve these kinds of depictions immediately. Gemini's AI image generation does generate a wide range of people. And that's generally a good thing because people around the world use it, but it's missing the mark here. Um, but I have to say, screw your apology. This Anybody, no one should be duped by this apology. Um, left, right, or center. If you're white, they're just going to, they're going to become less overt. They're not going to change their minds and all of a sudden be like, you know what? We shouldn't be racist towards white people. No, I don't believe them for a second. They'll just get sneaky, which actually, in my opinion, is a little bit worse because it's right now we have the devil, you know, now they're just going to go through and they're going to make it the devil you don't. And that, you know, how there's not a lot of research on programming like that and slowly altering people's perceptions but we do know from the field of psychology that it it happens slowly over time so it's actually going to work to their benefit if they're forced to go um a little bit more uh covert because then we don't realize we're frogs in a boiling pot so yeah I i think that we should stay up in arms about this and we people should just not use google gemini I think we should stay up in arms about everything. Yeah, but at least they capitalized white people in that article. So, <laughs> you know, because sometimes they'll only capitalize the black and they'll leave the white. Is that real? Yeah, no, it is It is real. Listen, I won't capitalize either when it refers to a person because it's mm-hmm. BS. But there is a thing now about capitalizing the B in black when you refer to people and then under an lowercase W for white. It's like they really just need to stick it in everywhere they get it. People on X will do that all the time. But there was that recent article about like how women were the big hunters back in the day or something. And I can just imagine like kids reading that and then we type in Google images to do our reports like 10 years from now. And there's all these women warriors and you just believe it, I guess. You just think, well, yeah, 
Obviously, the Nazis were black and the women were the warriors. <laughs> I mean, it depends. As far as the, the women stuff, the Nazis being black, maybe they will. But it'll be hard to talk about neo-Nazis when they think that all the Nazis are black. But yeah. with, with the gender stuff, I mean, people have eyeballs. So I guess it's a problem because men in the U.S. are becoming weaker and weaker. So there's less of a stark difference between men and women and especially yeah. because we're being told that. But I think at the end of the day, still like... People know, even the people who are with the whole um, genders are equal stuff, they know that's not true. You so, think so, though? Because we just looked at those photos of Leah Thomas on the stage. It's like, we I have think, eyeballs, but we don't care. We're going to put the gold medal on him. So Every single person at that at that event, every, all of those female competitors who were saying, no, we love equality. Behind closed doors, they are laughing their ass off. I guarantee it. Yeah. Either that or they are truly that dumb. And if they're truly that dumb... Yeah. I don't know that I can believe they are. I think that they know it's <laughs> bullshit. And I think that they still just go along with it because it's like you said, you would never have said um, all that stuff, like how you truly felt in mm -hmm. LA because mm -hmm. you know you said uh, you were liberal, but also I imagine if you had came out, you would be blacklisted immediately. You're not going to be getting auditions and stuff. Yeah, if there's a weird cognitive dissonance. I do think a lot of people believe a lot of crazy stuff. I don't know what's worse. I don't know what's worse thinking that they're lying and just laughing behind our backs. I'm sure a lot of the higher ups are for sure, but I'm talking about the regular American who claims to be buying all this stuff. I don't know what's worse that they're lying <laughs> and then like laughing at home or that they genuinely think, no, like men can get pregnant. You know, I don't, I don't know. I really do believe that some of these people think some of this stuff. I, it's like a weird thing where you can put blinders on like a horse and just like not think about your, your opinion for more than five seconds and realize that it contradicts itself. I don't, yeah, well, I, I used to do it. So uh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, well, that's where it kind of it gets culty. And, you know, we actually see mm -hmm. on all sides of the aisle, you know, there's people with reverse Trump derangement syndrome. But on the left, like it's almost uh, it's tied to their who they are as a person. It's it's their religion to be woke. It makes them a good person. I'll give you an example. Literally just from a couple hours ago, I was at the, the grocery store and here in Arizona, no one cares about masks. We didn't really care that much at the beginning. Um, it's a pretty free state despite how the elections typically go, but that's another conversation. <laughs> I get into ballot stuffing right now, but um, there's this dude who walks up next to me and uh, I'm waiting in line for the self-checkout and he's like, hey man, one opened up. Now, normally a person would just walk over there and take it, or they would say, hey, you're up. But I'm like, okay. Then he goes to the one next to me wearing a mask, uh, middle-aged white dude, and then proceeds as I'm checking out to t go on this diatribe telling me about how the other day this lady had two kids and a space opened up and someone just cut in front of her and like was just t literally flagellating himself as I'm sitting here talking to him and he's wearing a mask. And I was like, Oh, I bet this guy feels he's getting a high from this. He feels moral superiority to everyone in here. So when it, it's not a matter of it's, you know, protecting your self identity to a lot of these people, maybe that's, that explains the cognitive dissonance, like you said, where it, they deep down, they, they don't believe it, but mm -hmm. they, they do believe it because of that cognitive dissonance, because if they were to say that they didn't believe it, and to really look mm -hmm. at that, then that would challenge I'm a good person. It would challenge what they've turned into their identity and their, their morality. You're right. So, and that's very hard yeah. to come to terms with as someone who did. I mean, I was never a zealot or I, I never thought men could get pregnant, you know, uh, but I, I, as someone who changed my whole world view um, over the course of about two years, unintentionally, I didn't mean to, it is a very scary thing. 
And it's scarier to do that in the many ways than to even be afraid of a virus or something like that. And, you know, to realize that you've been lied to so much and that you were wrong about a lot of stuff is in many ways more terrifying than even the idea that, no, you've got to stay home and you've got to wear a mask and you've got to do this and that. It's much more terrifying to think, well, no, I've been lied to. And I genuinely do believe it's not an excuse, but I do think a lot of these people think they're being compassionate, whether it comes to abortion or the mask or the shot or <laughs> the black yeah. black thing, we're going to give black people handouts or the train. I think they think that there's this group of right wingers over here and they they hate other people and we're the compassionate ones, but they don't think about it long enough. And they also don't read beyond the headlines they don't research they're not aware of the stories that we are and so they don't realize how much this stuff ends up hurting people it's not yeah. an excuse for it but it, i i think a lot of people think it's like good intentioned right morons useful mm -hmm. idiot <laughs> yeah yes yeah. yeah now i get how hard that can be to change your um your whole worldview. I remember, so I was in the Marine Corps. I was a 0331 machine gunner in the infantry. And I did a couple of deployments to the Middle East. And I was super gung-ho about it, patriotic, wanted to join the military. I mean, as long as I could remember. And then I remember, so I got injured and I wasn't able to stay in. And when I got out, I kind of started to get into politics. And that was, uh, I remember realizing Oh wait! All of these all of these wars that I've just fought in were for nothing. It was all a big lie. It was just a bunch of money wasted, life wasted for corrupt politicians who want global dominance. So I, I kind of can relate on on that sense. Why when you you realize that these massive parts of who you are and everything you believe yeah. in is all bullshit, it yeah. is it is crazy. But also at the same time, coming through that and not just having cognitive dissonance that also makes me a little bit maybe too harsh on these people where I don't have any compassion where I'm like if I could if I could break out of this and I could be okay like you're being a, a weenie <laughs> I get that way sometimes too I really don't know how especially you know some people get mad at me for taking till 2020 to quote unquote wake up I don't know how you could live through 2020 and 2021 and not be like, oh, something's wrong here. Cause I'm not a very, I'm not a scientist or a doctor or anything. I wasn't looking to have my whole worldview change. I was not looking to become a conservative Christian in, in Los Angeles, uh, but it was just so blatant. You know, it was just a, so obvious for the first time in my life. So I don't know, a lot of people still live through it though and have those blinders on, I guess, you know, yeah. cause it's scary, you know, it's scary. Yeah. I wonder how many people, I feel like it was a very catalyzing event, especially in like a very blue area, mm -hmm. like you were in. I. The way I, I don't know, maybe you can tell me if I'm wrong on this because you knew people in that area, but I imagine it woke up a lot of people, but then it just further entrenched the people who were yeah. never going to accept it. I feel like yeah. it was like, it was kind of woke up. It was the last ditch effort of the people who are going to wake up are going to wake up and the rest of them, there's no hope. They will never yeah. accept any sort of reason. Well, I mean, I don't know when it becomes too late and I like to think there's still hope, but I also think it gave because some people made it their whole personalities, you know, and you can see it on X still. And I don't think they're all bots. I'm sorry. Some people took COVID and it's like their reason detra now to COVID and wear a mask. I think it gave people, we not to get too esoteric about it, but I, well, we have a lot of godlessness. We have a lot of purposelessness, you know, we're unattached from our food and where it comes from and our jobs, et cetera. I think that for the first time, people had like purpose. We didn't have to go to war in my generation. We didn't have to. And thank God for that. But suddenly it was like this big unifying event for the first time since 9-11 
and but it, it wasn't and unifying didn't end up being that way and it like made you have a reason you know you were important you had to wear a mask and save your neighbor and i don't think you so work for door let that go. Hero. <laughs> <laughs> yes exactly you're like a doctor you're on the front lines your heroes work here and all this when you work at doordash i think it gave people a, a sense of purpose for the first time in their lives and and you're right superiority it's an easy way to feel superior and uh look down on other people i don't know I don't Maybe know you're right. There's no hope. What's that? <laughs> well, I was going to say that's an interesting angle. I've never thought about that giving people purpose kind of because I always thought of COVID as super divisive. But I guess mm -hmm. in a sense, it did have that same 9-11 sort of effect because like immediately after 9-11, people were, you know, we're all in this together. And then very shortly after they became <laughs> pro-war and anti-war side. And even like with January 6th, same thing, immediately pro-side, anti-side. So yeah. I guess that makes sense, though, because even though half the people didn't buy into the world in this together for the half that did it still had that same effect but i bought I it for like two months i felt <laughs> i felt that at 9 11 i was super young so i don't remember getting divided divided after but i felt it for two months i was like wow this is this is important and i'm scared and then i woke up because la it was so blatant you know like mm -hmm. it was just so crazy we I, people would yell at me for walking around i never wore a mask on the sidewalk even though i was super liberal and i was super afraid of it whatever but i just thought why the heck would i wear a mask alone on the sidewalk in the la sun and i would get off the sidewalk for people and i would cross the street so i'd be you know so far away from them and they would still yell so it was just this weird <laughs> stuff of like pod people you know and then the arrows on the grocery store floor and then they would caution tape off like the jungle gyms and there were these exercise machines at the park which are already six feet apart and they would like they would lock them up and padlock them and it was very like violent and aggressive and st stuff like that started being like what are we doing and even still they have at the self-checkout at my grocery store the the plastic dividers, you know, that like stop right here on me. And what is that going to do for COVID? And they never got rid of them. And so it was little things like that of like, what's really, really going on here. And so it was so odd to me that more people weren't like, hmm, I, I wonder, are we being told the yeah. whole truth? And in LA, especially, we never changed course. We, as we learned more and we realized, okay, it's not really on surfaces. Okay. It's not really affecting you know, uh, young people, et cetera. We never like redirected course. We just did the same thing for two years. We were in a mass mandate for two straight years. We never were like, hmm, maybe let's uh, rethink this. We just kept- As your governor was going to the French laundry restaurant. Exactly, indoors without a mask, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but see, this is why I say I'm not, um, I like I joke about being blackpilled and there's no hope, but I don't think that, obviously that's why, that's why I do this show. That's why I'm trying to grow it. That's why we wrote the book um, and working on other stuff. Um, I do think that people can wake up. I think mm -hmm. I say this in the book that like right now we're passive citizens when we're actually constitutionally charged to be an active citizenry. So I do think people can be woken up, but I, I think like, yeah, things have to get bad before that happens. So that's actually right. yeah. brings back to the trans thing real quick. I wonder sometimes I we see all these these school boards and stuff, people protesting and the, the gender queer books in school and stuff. Mm -hmm. And I almost wonder if, you know, the, the right fights really hard to make these blue states not do this stuff. And I understand that because the, the children that are victimized, I think, is absolutely terrible. But I also like I challenge I, I struggle with this in my mind, kind of a, do the ends justify the mean situation morally where I go, OK, let's say that the right just quit bothering left wing states. And we said, go nuts, do whatever you want with the trans stuff. And then let it get so crazy that it fizzled itself out and woke people up and they went, whoa, this has gotten insane. 
Now, would that happen or <laughs> would they just continue to get more insane? And then that is just the new status quo. That's that's the type of stuff that I struggle with. And um, I, I'm not entirely sure what the answer is. Uh, David, can you come real quick? Okay, yeah. No, I can't hear. One sec. It's not live, so it's okay. But it says speaker's not working. Oh, is that it? Can you hear me? Yeah. No, he's he no. can't hear me. I don't think I can't hear him either. Oh, you. now you can hear me. I can hear you. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, yeah, I can hear. Okay, you. great. Sorry. Sorry about that. That's okay. It's okay. Sorry. Sorry. You said <laughs> it, you were gonna edit it anyways, right? I think that. Yeah. Um. I think there that's some other speakers connected to the computer. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, gotcha. No, I get it. But yeah, I, I don't um, know. How do you want to go back to what you were saying? You were saying, I think you were about to say something interesting about um, if we just let it run wild and yeah. take a hands-off approach. Yeah. So I, I struggle with this kind of moral battle of does the end justify the means where I go, okay, right now the right really cares about making these left-wing states pull back some of their transgender stuff. And I understand that because obviously no one wants these kids to be victimized well, mm -hmm. except for the left. But um, I, I struggle where I go, okay, if we just completely said, go nuts, do whatever you want, we don't care, just don't do it in our states, would they get to a point where they got so crazy that they woke, that people started to wake up and realize this is insane. Oh my gosh. Wow. All these drag queens are pedophiles and <laughs> molested all of our kids. Like, would that happen? I shouldn't or laugh at that. Even crazier. <laughs> well, Gallows. That's you know. a good point. Cause I do think people have to suffer to wake up. I think Yuri Bezmanov said that famously to like wake up from brainwashing. People have to suffer, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. And I had to suffer. Not that I hadn't suffered prior to 2020, but I was sitting here suffering. I couldn't go to work and, but I was could able to go out and protest and all this crazy stuff. So it's a good point that maybe. But I also just think that before any of that would happen, they would take us over. It would spread because they're not content to let us live our lives. They're the ones that want to, you know, expand the federal government and make sure that we're doing what they want us to do and lock down the whole country and all of this. So I think before we ever got to the point of them waking up, they would be over here in our territory taking yeah, us over. Good point. We'd certainly need a lot stronger red states because right mm -hmm. now I don't know how most of the Republicans continue to get elected. The, the Republicans are so weak and there's, and I'm not, a, I'm not even a Republican. I don't identify with the Republican party anymore, but yeah, that's a good point where it's like, they wouldn't stand up and stop any of this. And we talked about how people are asleep and we're passive citizenry. I don't trust the American people to hold their elected officials accountable to keep their state strong. So I guess that is a good point where it's, it's going to spread out. But then again, it kind of already is. And I wonder, like, okay, maybe you say the I, I don't know. It's it's a complicated issue, but yeah. either way, I, I do want people to wake up. But didn't mean to get all sidetracked there. Um, back to back to racial <laughs> culture news. Um, oh yeah, that's right. Yeah. So turns out black people are racist towards black <laughs> black people, and it's all of our fault. Uh, so I wanted to show this this clip of these race baiters. Do you know who Ben Crump is? Yes. He's the first yeah. on the scene anytime a black man gets shot yeah. for He's a lawyer for assaulting George a police Floyd. officer. Yep. Well, it's him, Al Sharpton, and a couple of other loons. It's just the 30-second clip. But I just want to I thought it was interesting. I got some stuff to say on this, but we can get rid of all the crime in America overnight, just like that. And people ask how attorney Crump changed the definition of crime. Mm. Of course, if you get to define what conduct is going to be made criminal. 
you can predict who the criminals are going to be. Doesn't it sound yeah. like weird criminal though? Yeah, our existence. No, the culture. Well, they made no, no, the laws. They <laughs> criminalize our culture. To black culture. See, that's the part. They made the laws to criminal criminalize black culture. That's no, no. We're mad about crime, not black culture. <laughs> that's you're saying this is our culture. What does that mean? So you're saying that black black people, black culture is criminal culture? That's a black guy saying that. That's Al Sharpton. All these people. That's not me. Like, what the hell? Like, but that to me, if I said that, I would be seen as the most racist alt-right Nazi ever. But a black guy says it. <laughs> one of the, the the leaders of the the you know BLM movement and all this stuff, and it's fine. I mean, what am I supposed? Do I believe black people? And okay, this is your culture. Well, I'm sorry, <laughs> I have a problem with the crime. Or do I say, no, I disagree with this. Like, I, there's almost no way to come out of this without being racist in there. In the world, <laughs> you know? Either don't listen to black voices, or you you think blacks are criminals. <laughs> But, uh yeah that's an absurd it's well first of all it's absurd that they're all just like hanging out playing pool like we're supposed to believe that i would want him to expound on that like what does he think i don't know what he means by our existence is criminalized it's just such an absurd idea that that we're hunting down black people and uh you know i i'm sure there's a history of criminalizing things that black people do that that white people get away with but i don't think that's the case anymore we're talking about you know massive gang violence in chicago and what is that supposed to be legal and california is on the way you know we now you can still up to 900 dollars in a plastic bag and just walk out and so i guess you know they're making absolutely skyrocketed yeah so i guess black culture is and honestly you know i don't there is an issue with I, they're not I'm, that criminals come in all colors okay but i think before I, I we have a conversation yeah before there's sure. any kind of conversation just like in your own personal life before you start pointing other fingers i think the black community needs to look at itself very closely because there is a culture that and there's music that idolizes a certain type of thing and i'm not saying that white people don't listen to it and i'm not saying that white people don't do wrong or any other color but why is it in this culture? And you can't say racism because in the 1950s, 1960s, when there was legitimate legal racism, black families were doing better. It was like 70% of fathers were in the yeah. home and they were wealthy and they were thriving and there was actual racism at that time. So it doesn't make sense to be like, well, we just have been feeling the effects of slavery and then Jim Crow, et cetera, et cetera. It, it really doesn't make any sense. So what yeah. happened in the interim? And it cannot all be blamed on slavery and Jim Crow. Yeah. Sorry. Well, in the 1960s, when Lyndon Johnson said, you know, quote, I'll have these N-words voting Democrat for 100 years and mm -hmm. put in all this welfare stuff incentivizes the single mother, we can see a very clear line of what goes up. Single motherhood goes up, crime goes up right after that. And it's, it makes sense with, um, you know, anthropology and social psychology research. Um, I guess I forgot to tell you, I um I'm in the uh, getting a graduate degree in clinical psychology. So that's why I bring up oh, psychology wow. all the time. But um, we've seen the greatest contributor to crime is poverty. Um, the greatest contributor to poverty is single parent households. So it's a it's such a clear correlation what's happened. And then these these rates spike. We know the cause of this. And as a result, it has created this culture where, you know, I, I people call me Nancy Reagan and they think it's funny, but I'm serious. Back in the 80s, people would go see Motley Crue and go shout at the devil, but they weren't going back to their homes and creating a shine to Satan. It was it was just music. Hip hop now, I think because of the lack of uh, fatherhood in the black community and the lack of, um, you know, leadership and like, 
you know, science and all these other places, the role models for that community are hip hop artists. We see this when they'll talk, they'll have like a panel of like a doctor or a scientist. And then it's always like a rapper that they have, like a leader of the black community. And they, they listen to their words and act like they're um, these very profound things. And I think that that, that hip hop culture, it's not just music. It is a way of life for people. It's there. Yeah. They idolize it. And we've seen this with like uh back in the nineties, I believe, um, I saw a video on this. I'm not too sure. It's one of the people that um, Kim Kardashian was trying to get out of prison. Uh, Julius Jones, middle-class dude, black dad, um, black mother in the home, had a scholarship, an academic scholarship to go to school, I believe, North Carolina. And then what does he do? Gets into crime, ends up murdering someone. Why? Not because he had to, not because it's survival, but just because that's what's cool. I don't want to be some, mm -hmm. you know, nerd going and, you know, I, I want to be cool. I want to be like my buddy, um, it was some name like T-Bone or something. And it's like, that's, that is a problem with culture that disproportionately affects the black community. So yeah. I get that not all black people are, are criminals, obviously the vast majority are not, but this is a disproportionate problem that is infused with their culture. Yeah, but absolutely. And we can't you know, talk about it. And then every time it's one of these black guys, almost every time it's a lie, you know, hands up, don't shoot. Mm -hmm. what, Jason Blake, whatever, the guy that turned his back on the cops and got shot, but it turns out he had been, you know, mm -hmm. digitally assaulting a, a woman in the house or something and there were kids in the car. I mean, every time George Floyd, we found out more about every single time. And then Ben Crump, you know, it's just, it's, it's just so divisive. It's so crazy. I have that, a theory that on that. Is, uh, <laughs> what is your by, theory? By you. So right before the George Floyd situation, there was in Alabama, a racist killing, like legit a racist killing. They they wanted to go hunt this guy down and they lynched him and it was completely ra racially motivated. Wow. It wasn't covered by the left, but um, it wasn't covered by the left. No, nobody cared. Why? Because Alabama isn't a swing state. Almost always these places, the um, these issues happen that just explode in swing states. I've noticed a pattern. So I don't have any huh. hard evidence of this, but I it seems like to me they they take instances in swing states a lot more seriously and they just ignore it. Like they just assume, oh yeah, if someone hears that this happened in Alabama, they're not going to care. If they hear it happened in, you know, Indianapolis, they're going to care a lot more. So it's wow. not, a, not a solid theory. So but you're saying legitimately, I'm not saying that this could never happen, but it's hard for me to believe. You're saying, you're saying legitimately a, 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 people, American citizens hunted down someone because he was black and lynched him. Yes, it was like when I say hunted down, like there, I don't know. If I'm not laughing. I just find that shocking yeah, and that it, it wasn't covered. So, yeah, I actually I I um I heard about it on Gavin McInnes's show, kind of, a you know, kind of off the, the beaten path, looks up weird stories. And uh, okay. I, I didn't believe it. And I, I looked it up and the only article I could find was the local newspaper of that town. And yeah, I, I don't remember the story. This was a couple of years ago of whether it was like you know, just sleeping with someone's girlfriend or I, there could have been a million things going on, but either way, it was a very clearly racially motivated attack. And was um, anyone prosecuted? Maybe you don't know. I might be asking. I don't know that. I, again, this okay. was a few years ago, but I just yeah. I thought it was interesting that that doesn't get that any coverage. But then these other instances, mm -hmm. going back to your point of they like pick the worst people. Um, we see all this with Fannie Willis. They always pick the worst people um, to be their heroes with like George Floyd. It's yeah. so clearly like it's just a bad example when there are actually good examples out there if you wanted to use racism. But 
Yeah, I don't sure. Know. Absolutely. Um, it's crazy. And it's, it's so divisive. But you know, I stand corrected. I'm sure I, I know racism exists, and it'll always exist. It's awful that that happened in Alabama. That's I would I find that hard to believe. But I trust that you said it. I want to look more into it. Um, and I'm sure you know, but I just I for the most part, I think it's overblown. And I don't I don't think you can ever stamp out racism, right? It's it's not in our laws anymore. Uh, I don't believe we have systemic racism. It's not legal. But how are you going to police someone's mind? And we're all racist. That's why I disagree <laughs> you know, we're all tribal. Crimes. I'm like, what are hate crimes? Like, presumably all crimes <laughs> right. are racist. But, but yeah, just, they're not love I, crimes. Yeah, yeah. When I brought up that Alabama situation, that's not to say I think there's a, a massive pattern of racist attacks against black mm -hmm. people. I think that, mm -hmm. to be perfectly honest, white people are the least racist people in the country and white Americans are the least racist people in the world. I think. There's way more racism against whites from the black community. So just to be, I'm not like making a case like, you know, black people are being lynched in America. This was just one isolated incident. Yeah, but, yeah, of course. Lord. Well, a black uh, interracial crime, blacks commit like 80% of it. <laughs> when oh, you talk about black and white crime, one on the other. Yeah. Yeah. Well, they, they say the whole 1350 uh, number, but that's actually, that's not really accurate. If you break down the numbers, there's a huge percentage of people who are um, unidentified in those FBI crime statistics. So if you take those out, because it just waters down the results and you, we don't know who those people are. And then you take and you look at who's actually committing these crimes in the black community. It's young black men, uh, military age men, uh, 16 to 48. So that's about 3% of the population. So when you, you take out that anonymous, we don't know who the, the suspect is, who committed the crime, and you just go who was actually convicted along with the 3% the number, 3% of the population commits 72% of the violent crime. Yeah. Which again, that's not a condemnation of all black people, but that is something that, that there is very clearly a disproportionate issue there. And it's got to yeah. come from somewhere. That's where, you know, I think welfare policy, single parenthoods, hip hop yeah. culture, all this stuff ties into it. But either way, yeah. it's not my fault for saying you can't be criminals. <laughs> it's not me criticizing your culture, even if that is a big part of culture for a lot of African-American people or black American. And I don't like. Calling yeah, we just have to make crime legal and it'll be fine <laughs> Yeah, for black people only. Just that three mm percent -hmm. of the population, everyone else gonna get in trouble so yeah that or we can just hide the uh hide the who's committing the crimes which they've tried to do <laughs> yeah that's we see this in the media that was actually the next story i don't want to stay on it too long because it's kind of old news but um did you see the the kansas city shooting yeah i uh, saw some stuff on it yeah yeah it was let's see 23 people were shot um a mother died 43 old mother of two um i thought it was interesting because it, it kind of got big news everyone was like who who's the killer um who's who's the shooter and they didn't want to say of course they're they're not going to report that it's a, a black person and then turns out it is um tim pool reported on this it was a african-american guy but what i wanted to go to was we brought up you're not allowed you said that we're not allowed to say anything about it that's true look at how ann coulter was laughed on Bill Maher. Before this came out, we knew who the killer was. White, we know their identities by now. They laughed let's at see, I think, uh, let's see if the, the Daily Mail has assumption, a here. Noticing this They pattern. do, so let's uh, let's play the clip for you. Who did this shooting, by the way? The, the, the Super Bowl shooting? We have we, some idea. What? If it were a white man shooting, we'd know. Well, we don't know. But they, I mean, they That's how we know it's not a white man, I can tell you that. Are you still interested oh, you gotta in the be solar getting power generation? Oh, I hate ads so much. I have a, a beef on the show with ads. Repressing that reporting. 
They wouldn't tell us about the um, transgender woman that shot up the Christian school for what, like a year? Um, oh, San Bernardino out here. Remember the crazy terrorist Muslims? I, that's when I first noticed, hmm, they're not telling us who it is. I, it's not a white male. The longer they go without telling you, it's not a white male. Okay, Maybe. well, we don't, we, for this one, for right now, as of Friday night, February 16th, we, know. we, don't, we don't officially know. <laughs> Okay. You know, you have special powers. You have everybody was laughing at her. You have special powers. And it's like, she's absolutely right. Yeah. Well, what was it like in Kenosha when that guy drove through the parade? They kept saying an SUV drove through the parade yeah. or something. A car hit people. Like, I'm surprised self driving car. I'm surprised they didn't say for this one. Uh, a gun went off and shot 23 people, <laughs> killing a mother of 43 in Kansas City. But look, yeah. check out this. This is so crazy. This is how. Because, you know, I'm talking about the this kind of cultural um, white people are evil, bailing out, not not holding black people accountable, wanting to give them special treatment, which, in my opinion, is the bigotry of low expectations. It's saying mm -hmm. we don't think that you're capable of Absolutely. being held to the same standards they went out. So I actually think that the left's very racist and all this yes. stuff. But um, this this victimhood complex is so strong that I don't know if this will go anywhere. But the fact that they even think that this could go anywhere um, family of Kansas sh uh, City shooting suspect Lindell Mays post GoFundMe to get him through tragic time. So the guy is starting a GoFundMe, the guy who killed. And I don't know if you looked into this, but what actually happened was he was walking, saw another dude, said, what do you look? This is literally what happened in his confession. They started beefing over who was looking at who. And then one showed a gun and they started shooting. This guy for his his tragic time is now starting a GoFundMe. Why? Because he's a victim of the, the justice system. And I bet, I guarantee you, liberals will give him money too, by the way. But it's absolutely yeah. insane. That is really crazy. Look, I feel, I feel more bad for the victims, but obviously he's a troubled guy, but that's, we started GoFundMe for everything now. And I, that, I mean, how tone deaf is that really to start a, a GoFundMe? And isn't he, they kept saying he was a minor, so we can't release the names. Isn't he like 20 yeah. or something? He's 23. Not, yeah. Oh, 23. Okay. So he's not even a minor. <laughs> yeah. I was, I'd already done two deployments by the time I was 23. This, I'm so tired of us acting like men, this infantilization of adults in the United States. It's one of the most frustrating mm -hmm. things to me. I joined the Marine Corps when I was 17 years old and I get that that's wow. early, but as far as I'm concerned, like by 18 years old, you're a man. I'd say earlier by 16 years old, you should be basically a man. But now we have like, mm -hmm. we're looking at 21 year olds, 22 year olds and still calling them kids. Even the right wing does it when we're talking about crime. It's like, no, these aren't kids. These are young men. Like these are people who had lived two thirds of their lives for most of human history when the life expectancy was 30. You're right. Well, I think it goes back to what you're talking about though with fatherlessness and, and men do not have a built in, um, you know, women biologically have a built-in uh, marking of when you become a woman. Not that we think, you know, 13 and 14 year olds are technically women. Men yeah. don't have that, right? So I think, what not that why they used to go off on vision quests or whatever? It's, it's yeah. almost like you need some kind of marking of, okay, now your life is different and nothing will ever be the same. And, and you are an adult and girls have that. You know, not that we should treat girls who start menstruating at 13 and 14 like adults, but that your life changes and you grow up and you lose your innocence in a way. And men just don't have that biologically built in. So it's almost like they need it socially built in. And we've really That's lost that. Interesting yeah. point. And like Hispanics have that with like quinceañeras, um, mm -hmm. you know, Jew Jewish people have um, yeah. mitzvahs. 
that's an interesting point. We I we should have something like that as yeah. you know European. We're gonna send you guys off into the Hunger Game. I'm kidding. Okay. Yeah. No, but the and then how do you know to be a man? And how do you know to be a woman? It's like we're so confused. I'm not saying women aren't confused. We totally are. And if you don't, and so so many people are you know, like children raising kids, you know, with all their BS. And it's like, I, I feel for a lot of people because you don't just learn how to be an adult and it's, and it's brutal and you are sheltered in a lot of ways. And then you go to college, which is what they push you to do. You're sheltered for four more years and you come out with a ton of debt and suddenly you're supposed to, you know, have it all figured out and, and you don't. Yeah. And it doesn't help that even if you do have a, a father in the home, at this point, parents have completely abdicated their duties as parents. Yeah. They farmed it out to screens, the school. I mean, yeah. you look at the way parents interact with their kids. It's almost like they're just, they're there just to kind of wrangle them in and keep them alive. Like they're not being actual parents. Mm -hmm. That's why we, we've talked um, before on this show about the whole social media craze and the, they're coming after the the social media companies, which obviously I think uh, Mark Zuckerberg is a piece of crap. I think these are massive, corrupt, evil organizations, but yeah. at the same time, they're completely ignoring the fact that at the end of the day, the parents are giving the kids the screens You say, well, the mm -hmm. parental controls aren't good enough. Then don't give your kids a screen at all. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no one You're said right. it was going to be easy. Like at the end of the day, just so much of our culture has, even the parents who are there have just given up. They're not parents. It's, uh, it's I agree with you. I'm, you know, I'm not a parent. So I feel like it's easier said than done. Like you already just said, but at the end of the day, you're, when you hand your kid a smartphone, gosh, you're, you're handing them. My pastor last Sunday made a point that it used to be, you only saw sin when you were participating in it or you were watching it right in front of you in real mm -hmm. life. And you know, how, how often does that happen? And now then it was TV came in and into the home. And so you saw it a little bit more and now you have your smartphone and you have access to, and it's on X, you know, and you can be, you don't have to be 18. They don't verify your age to be on X. And so you can see the most horrible things on your phone. And I don't know how any parent could really hand that to their kid, maybe a flip phone so you can call and, and keep in touch, but smartphone just has everything. Anything you could possibly imagine is on that phone. Yeah. And it's insane. Even the, there was something crazy, the statistics, I wish I knew them off the top of my head, but of like, not just crazy stuff that they're exposed to, but the amount that they have unwanted sexual advances for like teenage girls wow. online is insane. It's something like 17, 17% reported seeing um, unwanted nudity and receiving un, unwanted sexual advances. Wow. Well, 17% isn't that, that much. Yes, that is. That is a big yeah. percentage. That's one in. Yeah, you're giving five. your daughter, you're giving men access to your daughter or your son or whoever. You're giving people access to them. You can DM anybody, you know? So yeah. it's it really terrifying in the, the age where, A, I don't think that it's new. I think that we just know more about it, but there are so many pedophiles out there. I can't believe I've gotten into these like uh, pedophile hunter channels, and it's absolutely insane how many pedophiles they are. And then also you have this LGBTQ movement, which has progressed way beyond, you know, gay yeah. rights and stuff. And now by adding the T's, it's intrinsically tied to pedophilia where they're doing the, the minor attracted people now. So it's like, not only are you giving, giving your kids access to this network of just a ton of predators, but then also there's this giant cultural movement to make predation. Okay. It's like, I, I just, if I don't have any kids, but if I did have kids, I, I would not give them a phone. I don't care how much they yelled and screamed. I can't, yeah. I can't imagine a good conscience doing that. 
And they'd be better off for it. Yeah, being on social media, especially, you know, having a little bit of growth the past year on my accounts, it's really hard. I mean, I'm a woman, so I think it's a little bit, yeah, I think men have a slightly thicker skin, but I know that things hurt you as well. Uh, but it's it sucks and it gets to me and I'm a grown woman. So I can only imagine whether it's positive or negative, it, it gets to you, it feels real and it, it affects your emotions. And I can only imagine what it does to a not fully developed brain. Yeah. Well, especially because you're in the political sphere too. Yeah. Speaking of that, how how bad is that? Like wh who who do you get criticized by the most or does just hate come from everywhere? Because I see a lot of your Twitter debates and it's a lot of it was with these red pill guys. Um, but I, see <laughs> of, like, I see you getting it from the left, getting it from the right. Like what is wh what does the hate look like that you get? <laughs> Uh, it's not, it's not good. Yeah, I get, listen, I get it mostly from the left. I, I, I still stand by the fact that I've been far more welcomed on the right than I ever, the minute that I just started questioning, because what made me walk away from the Democrat party, and I didn't just jump from one extreme to the other, it was the response to COVID compared to the response to BLM in 2020. I just thought it was su such a disparity, as we've already kind of touched on. And whenever I brought it up to my liberal friends, all my friends were liberal. I was an actress. I'd grown up, born and raised in Southern California. They all called me like racist and selfish <laughs> just because I wanted to go to work. And I thought like I wouldn't die if I went to work. And I, that just it blew my mind. It felt like such a betrayal. And when I saw the politicians on TV and, and the celebrities, everybody was kind of supporting this narrative. I would see things online that the only people upset about lockdowns are like white women who want to get their hair done. And I just thought that's crazy because, but first of all, everyone gets their hair, a lot of people, not everyone gets, but every, a lot of people do. And then who does the hair? People whose jobs are essential to them. And those come in all colors too. Your, your job's essential to you as a hairdresser. My job was essential to me. And so it felt like such a slap in the face. And I wasn't even like, oh, I'm going to become political and I'm going to become a Republican and, and screw you guys. But when I started having these questions, I remember Gina Carano's story being um, fired from The Mandalorian. I didn't even know anything about her, but I thought what she had posted was just so innocuous and so silly and nothing to freak out over. And it was how I was feeling at the time in 2020, 2021 in Los Angeles. I, I felt that exactly. And I related to her so much. And I remember posting... Um, her interview with Ben Shapiro on his Sunday special and getting flack for that. And so it was like any little thing that I did to question anything, these people who had known me and liked me for years just were not having it. And so in my experience, just anecdotally, you can question stuff on the right or the center that you, you cannot question on the left. The minute, even if you check every box, the minute that you say, oh, a man can't get pregnant, it's like your persona non grata. So I still stand by the fact that there's far more hate on the left side. Of course, I attract it because I'm on the right side now. But when I wasn't on the right side, I received a heck of a lot of, if not hate, then, then almost like willful misunderstanding. The lack of the complete inability to think that I might have an honest reason for disagreeing with you. That obviously I just woke up and decided to be racist and selfish and you know the pandemic wasn't affecting me in a negative way or whatever. So I, that is my experience of it, but yeah, social media is, <laughs> I don't think you're going to change anyone's mind on social media. Uh, it's not built for that really, but I do think it's a great tool for uh, preserving truth because the truth is always going to be the truth. It's never going to change. 
but I don't know if the future will know it. You know, if we we just talked about the AI thing and kind of rewriting history that way, I think AI will get more um, intense and more believable. And so how will the future know the truth? I don't think it's going to be from, you know, my videos 50 years from now, but you have to keep speaking the truth so that people know it. And I wish that I had come upon the truth much sooner in life. And, and maybe someone did lay kind of the seed and I just didn't take it at the time, but it sprouted later on, not to be too uh, mushy about it. But so I feel as though maybe we're planting seeds. Ultimately, social media can be so destructive, but I think in that sense, it's, it's really powerful. And we no longer have to rely on publishers or producers to give us these jobs. We can just speak the truth. And for the most part, at least on X, you know, and of course, Rumble, other platforms are questionable. Um, we can, you know, keep it out there. And that I think terrifies them because they cannot tamp this down, especially with X having been bought by Elon Musk and, you know, what happened with the laptop story, et cetera. We can exchange information in a way that we never could. And so, yeah, there's a lot of hate, but it's, it's, it's worth it, <laughs> you know, yeah. it, but it's hard. It's definitely hard. I'm, I'm just a human being and it, it sucks when you know that you're not hateful. I'm, I'm flawed like anyone else, but when you know, I'm, none of none of what I say is based off hate. It's actually based off uh, a deep love for women, uh, for minorities, for people. I, I look and I see actually know the things that you're told as a woman help you. They don't. The things you're told as a woman, as a minority help you. They don't. So it's it's based off of caring about people. And then you get so much hate and I'm like, no, I'm actually not that person. It sucks. Yeah. That was a long, <laughs> a long tirade about it, but you know. Like it's it worth it. Is, Keep speaking uh, truth. Yeah. Yeah. It's inspiring. It's, it's definitely a collective effort. I've definitely, we've already, um, you know, we've run into problems with getting episodes restricted, getting strikes mm. and stuff like that. And it's yeah. hard. It's like, man, I didn't even say anything that crazy that, or, know. you know, we come out and we don't, we specifically don't go down any party lines. We're just very blunt about what we think about each issue. And mm -hmm. some things that we lean more left on some things we lean more right on. And it is hard to keep, to keep going when you just get a bunch of hate, but at the same time, it's right. like, this is how we change. This is the the grassroots. Like, yeah, maybe I, I only have, you know, a few hundred people are going to watch a, a video that I put out or something, or maybe I get a, a few thousand, it does better. But either way, if a lot of people are doing that and thanklessly fighting that fight, not to make, you mm -hmm. know, content creators sound like heroes or anything, but that does make a difference collectively it over does. time. I think it's, yes. Yeah, I just think it's hard for people to realize you're just one part and a much bigger thing. It's yeah, they want I want to be the Tim Pool who's changing everything and millions <laughs> of people. It's like, well, that's that's great. I'm glad we have Tim Pool, but also we just need to flood flood all of these absolutely all this information. Yes, mm -hmm. because then when people do wake up, it's nice to have somebody there. If I had woken up and I don't love that phrase, but just for the sake of, you know, uh, efficiency, if I, if I had done that and realized it was all kind of a lie and then no one was out there talking, well, then I probably would have never spoken either. So speaking is very important. And of course, no, I understand content creators aren't heroes, but it really is doing more good than I think people realize. Because when you, if you were a liberal like me and you genuinely had this whole worldview and then it shifts, and I'm not saying everyone has to have a journey like mine where you become a Christian conservative and that was totally accidental. It is very, it's like being on drugs, you know, it's like <laughs> hallucinating a little bit. It's very disconcerting. And so having people who had this same journey or have been kind of of this mind their whole lives and they're speaking about it. And it's not just like trying to take people down or own people online, but it's actual truth. 
which we're not getting from the mainstream media or legacy media or Hollywood, et cetera, that is so important and more important than I think people realize. Yeah. And also important just for like on a, a personal level of, you know, cause like I said, I got injured and had to get out of the military. I thought I was going to be in the military for the rest of my life. And it was, I went through a period where I just like nothing, nothing mattered to me. Cause I had done what my mind was like the most real thing ever life and death. And it's like, well, now what am I going to go like be a financial advisor? Like I'll blow my brains out. And then, you know, the way I look at this now, when I kind of realized, you know what, this is something that I want to fight for. I, you, it doesn't just, well, I could argue that uh, nothing I did in the military was for the country, but that's, just, that's just a bitter veteran thing. But you don't have to just fight with a gun for the country to fight for the country. And I kind of realized that and it gave me this new rejuvenated sense of purpose. And that's where I, in my mind, I would do this if nobody watched, because I'm like, I don't care. Maybe no one sees it now, but in 50 years, someone stumbles across it and it has a difference and it's important. It's important for these messages to be out there. And it's given me like a new sense of purpose. So that's another thing for to anyone who, Jesus, who is, uh, you know, interested in getting involved in this, whether it's just making videos or writing something, putting your, your mm -hmm. thoughts to the page. Like there is, even if no one sees it or if it takes a while to grow, there is a very rewarding aspect to this for you. At least feel like you're doing Absolutely. something for what you believe in. Um, Absolutely. That was great. Yeah. That was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I don't know how you are on time or how much time you, you planned on doing, but I, are, have, are I have time. I figured it would be, uh, you know, isolated, like at least two hours. I mean, two hours if we go, I, I don't expect us to go to two hours, but. Okay, good. Yeah. Um, Great. Well, then just no, you know, no harm, no foul. If you end up needing to go, uh, let me know. Um, but we'll we'll move on. There was one more story um, about basically uh, a lady telling white businesses they can't come into her district. They're not getting <laughs> new businesses or whatever. Um, but I think okay. we beat the the race thing to death. Um, so I wanted to get into uh, a, our next story here, and um, specifically, I saved this story for you. Because I think we agree on a lot of stuff. I'm not. I'm not personally um, religious. Uh, I grew up very Southern Baptist. Uh, my family's still very religious. Um, then for me, I just, you know, it's not. I, I don't believe it. Not disparaging anyone who does. I'm not one of those arrogant atheists who's like, oh, you believe in a magic man in the sky. I understand it's far more complicated than that. I don't think that I know everything. Um, and I certainly wouldn't wouldn't say that I'm. I. I trust that I'm right enough to want to influence other people, but I know you are, you are religious, right? Are you Catholic yes. or what's your Catholic? I was raised Catholic, left the church for a long time, and now I'm Christian. Okay. So, so this question is kind of perfect because I just want to get uh, an alternate perspective. Um, so, oh, whoops, <laughs> I forgot. I got to switch over to the, the article first. Um, so Alabama Supreme Court rules frozen em embryos are children under state law. The Alabama Supreme Court has ruled that frozen embryos can be considered children under state law. A decision critics say could have sweeping implications for fertility treatment in the state. Um, the decision was issued in a pair of wrongful death cases brought by three couples who had frozen embryos destroyed in an accident at a fertility clinic. Justices citing anti-abortion language in the Alabama Constitution ruled that an 1872 state law allowing parents to sue over the death of a minor child applies to all unborn children, regardless of their location. Uh, so the reason I wanted to bring this up 
I'm actually pretty right leaning on abortion. Um, in the book, what I did for the abortion chapter was I looked at what constitutes legal death. And then I worked backwards from there. And I basically provide the case that, in my opinion, it's at a heartbeat, which, you know, even though it's not a full heartbeat at six weeks, that's that's where I personally think the legal line should be drawn. But I know different states might not agree with that. That's why I'm actually happy that this is a state's issue right now. Um, I don't like the, the Roe, Roe v. Wade. Let the states decide. So I'm more than happy that Alabama is able to do this and they're not infringed by the federal government. However, I I personally think this is a little... A little insane, but I wanted to get your your position on it as a Catholic. Um, would you like? What do you think about this? Is this how the average Catholic would see it, where an embryo that's not in a woman's body, they just fertilized it? Is that is that kind of a normal thing? You can give me your two cents on that. Well, I can't. I'm I'm Christian, which is slightly different than Catholic. like Catholics are Christians, but I'm not a Catholic. So oh, sorry, my bad. I, I, I don't expect you to know that it's, I didn't realize honestly how different it was until I came to the faith as an adult. So I don't expect yeah. anyone to know that, but just for the sake of clarity, to be totally honest, this is actually hard for me because, um, yes, I, I understand that scientifically those embryos are a life. Um, life begins. I never use my faith in God to argue against abortion. And I was pro, I, I would call it pro-abortion now, but I was pro-choice before. And I didn't realize what I didn't know. Um, and it has almost nothing to do with my faith because biologically at fertilization, a whole individuated genetically distinct living human organism is formed. There is no other point. And I know you said a heartbeat. And I understand when your heartbeat ceases, that's when we declare you dead um, as in, you know, late at the end of life. But there's really no other point other than fertilization it's really either fertilization or birth. And I know I honest people realize that birth is absolutely absurd <laughs> that we don't look at women who are six months pregnant and say, there's nothing in there and, and it doesn't matter. Um, there's a, that's the only point. It's, it's, that is when the sperm fertilizes the egg and, and an entirely new set of DNA, DNA is formed. And so at that point, that is your offspring. That's a life. I understand that Obviously, they like to say, oh, well, if it was burning down, who do you say first, the embryo or the child? I, I understand that <laughs> that um, we have a different connection to a baby who's out of the uterus and you can touch and feel and hold and see and relate to than we do an embryo. I get that. I think that's both. a human that's, thing. You know, that's a bad What's argument. that? If they try to make that argument, that's a bad argument because like you could say both. The, the house isn't burning down. You don't have to yeah, I saw a meme today where it was like the proper way to walk out of a burning IVF clinic and he has the tube <laughs> of embryos and the baby and he's like a macho guy and he's strolling <laughs> out. But so, I, yes, I consider that an embryo, scientifically, an embryo is a human life. It's it's not It's not your egg. It's not his sperm. They were something else entirely before, and now it's a new human life. But that said, um, I think IVF is an unfortunate thing. You know, I think, I think it's, I think it's sad that we are in this world, and a lot of times there's mix up with IVF. You know, people get the wrong baby, the wrong embryo in play, and then that's a whole complicated thing. And then yes, they make these embryos and they freeze them. And they sometimes destroy them. Sofia Vergara just recently uh, destroyed her embryos because she didn't want them to be given to another woman. And she divorced her husband or didn't get married to her fiance, whoever it was. 
Um, so I think that's wrong. I think that's wrong, but I also understand the desire to have a child and IVF is personally, I've not been through it, but it's personally very close to my heart. I have people that I love dearly and they have been created through in vitro fertilization. And I think those people are a blessing. Absolutely. So uh, there are a lot of hardline Christians and Catholics and pro-lifers who would like to shut down IVF. I have a hard time with that, even though I understand that these embryos are being frozen, destroyed, et cetera, because I I understand that we are dealing with heightened rates of infertility for a lot of reasons. Women are getting married later and later. There's all these toxins. And I think a baby is always good. What's that? I was saying uh, Cheerios are making us all sterile. I don't know if you said that. (laughs) Well, what do they say? Like by 2045, the sperm's all going to be gone. I mean, I understand a a baby is always a blessing, you know? And yes, you could adopt. Yes, you could do that. Uh, It's it's very hard to adopt a baby specifically. There's a long, long waiting list. There's issues with adopting an older child. I'm not saying that any of this is perfect, but I'm not going to judge someone for going through IVF, uh, for wanting to create something good going through the IVF process is not the same as going through an abortion and killing, intentionally killing uh, a life that has already begun. So I don't look at it in that hardline way. Um, But, you know, I mean, I think that this ruling was probably inevitable because (laughs) here we have Roe has fallen. And and I, I personally think, I disagree with you, we are coming to a place where the federal government, I know you're more libertarian than I am, federal government's going to have to rule on when life begins, because for the first time since slavery- I agree with you there. Oh, you do? Okay. It's good. Yeah, because I'm glad that Roe fell, but this is the first time since slavery where you go to Alabama and the embryos are human, and then you go to Colorado and you can kill it through all nine months. And that's that can't stand. Like We have to decide where- what's a human. Roe v. Wade, I think one of the main problems with it was it was about abortion. It was not, it's actually the whole premise of my abortion chapter is the real debate is about where does life begin? So specifically, I think right now, the way the argument's framed, I want it at the state's level. Um, But I I agree with you where the actual debate needs to be had, and that should be a federal Mm -hmm. thing. um, Mm -hmm. Where does life begin? I just don't think that that's the argument being made. That's why I'm in favor of states' rights right now. But I I 100% agree with you actually on that. Yeah. But, you know, it's that's that's interesting. Not a lot of people realize that. And I hate it when conservatives like try to hide behind. Oh, we just want to send it back to the states where it belongs. Yes. If you interpret the Constitution literally like, yeah, I guess it belongs in the states. But also, I don't know how a republic stands when you go from Colorado all nine months and then you cross the border to wherever Oklahoma and it's it's not legal at all. How do you live that way? Because now we're going to have issues where she flees the state and the father doesn't want her to have an abortion. Is it murder? Is it not murder? We're going to have to deal with it, I think, on a national level. And I'm glad yeah. that you recognize that because a lot yeah, of people want to hide behind it. Yeah. Well, when they say the uh, the constitutional thing, here here's the thing. You know, we don't leave rape up to the the states to decide. Right. Like it's very clearly yeah. rape is rape is not okay. Mm-hmm. Murder. We don't leave that up to the states. With this, we're talking about where does human life begin? All human beings constitutionally at the federal level have the right to pursue life, liberty, the pursuit of property, happiness. Um, we're all, you know, we all have inalienable rights. So the, the the states are not allowed to infringe upon an individual's rights. So that's why the debate exactly. we had, where does life begin? That's actually, that's why with my book, I say, you know, I, I, I didn't go with the... Um, with the conception argument, 
specifically because I was thinking about from a legal perspective, what is the the most logical, being as unbiased as possible? What's the best legal answer I could come up with, which where does life begin? That's mm -hmm. why I did the heartbeat. But either way, wherever the line ends up being drawn, and if it goes all the way to conception, that's what everyone agrees on. Either way, this is a matter of nobody thinks in Colorado, a nine month old in the right. womb is not a human being. That's that's murder. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I think and they claim it doesn't yeah. happen, but then we should just make it. There are seven. There are six states plus D.C. where it is legal for all nine months. And that did not change with Roe. That was the case prior to Roe. It has nothing to do with Roe falling. It's not like a dig at conservatives because we couldn't leave Roe alone. That was the case before. And if it doesn't happen, then we should just agree that it's illegal. And they recently were trying to open up a clinic in Beverly Hills that would do it up to 31 weeks. And at that point, you know, uh, that is that's past the point of uh, viability. So, I mean, I would argue it that does happen. is infringing upon that life's constitutional mm -hmm. rights. Like at that point, yes. it's very clear where the, the line starts. That's a debate. But at that point, it's like so clearly it's not about women's bodies or any of that. It, exactly. Now you're you're taking away someone's constitutional rights. I mean, we yes. wouldn't say if. um well, I use the example of like that they say it's um, if they were born with a heart defect. What about that? Well, I'm like, well, how would we treat an adult with a heart defect? Like they're still a person, you know? Exactly. Like the more yes, <laughs> yeah. The more yeah. compassionate thing is not to. And I get, I, I realize it's easy to sit here and talk about it in the hypothetical, and then you know a real world example like Kate Cox in Texas and all that. But the the fact of the matter is, is we're playing God, and IVF plays into that. IVF is in a sense playing God. Um, so I understand that it's tied together, but we're playing God. The the compassionate thing isn't to, well, you might die, you might not survive, you might be have Down syndrome, so let me kill you. That's not a compassionate thing at all. But I also understand that, um, you know, when we're talking about embryos, that in my view, they are they they literally are human lives. I understand that we have a different relation to them than we do a baby. There's also the issue of. I, I don't think it's so hypocritical in my point of view, because there's the issue of sometimes an embryo doesn't implant naturally. And we don't call that an abortion. A lot of times a woman doesn't even know that that happened, that that embryo was ever formed. I, I So would those embryos have ever taken and been implanted and successfully uh, gotten to the uterus? I have no idea. But once you have an abortion, once you realize you're pregnant, at that point, your embryo has successfully implanted where it needs to be, where it's supposed to be, uh, to continue to grow. And so at that point, that is wrong. Um, yeah, so well, it's, it, it's know, where the embryo, like, what's that? It's intention. We don't demonize a woman who has mm -hmm. a miscarriage. Cause it's like, she's not right. actively trying to terminate the pregnancy, mm -hmm. but, but yeah, I mean, this is one of those unfortunate things. Like I, it, would it be better if IVF were never invented? I guess so, but it was inevitability and it's brought a lot of joy to people. But yeah, when someone messes up and the the embryo dies and you, you know, a lot of times these couples are struggling to even get like eight embryos and that's all they get. And a lot of those won't even take, you know, you're not going to have octuplets. Um, mm -hmm. And it's, and it dies, who's responsible for that? Uh, it is something that has to be decided on. And if we're being just logically consistent, which a lot of times the pro-life people are the only ones who are logically consistent, if we're being logically consistent they are a human life. So. Yeah. All right. So it sounds like we, we agree like, well, 
we agree that the there needs to be a debate about where does life begins mm -hmm. at the, the federal level. With that, we we might you might want it to be a little bit earlier than me. But I will say this: I would rather have it go more your way towards conception than go the other way. Anything after six weeks, at my point, like if I was gonna budge anyway, I would go your way. I would be fine with conception, but um, for this, I, I just was kind of curious your um, your stance on the whole. Thing. That's it's an interesting story. We'll probably see more of it. You know, I think it'll be more of a question, especially because more and more people are doing it. I mean, it's very cost prohibitive, but we're seeing a lot of infertility. And so it, it is kind of like, where do we go from here? And I, you know, I know that we're a long way off from a federal <laughs> decision on uh, six weeks or fertilization. I know we have to change a lot about the culture too, but I think we have to do it in tandem, the laws and the culture, because, um, we're at like almost a million abortions a year. And that's completely yeah. insane. <laughs> yeah. Especially when the vast majority over 99% are just elective abortions. I bring mm -hmm. those statistics in the book, the breaking apart some of the myths of the health of the mother and all of that mm -hmm. stuff, how that's really a statistical uh, irrelevant sort of thing. The vast majority of abortions are just elective abortions, like a cosmetic procedure, except for it's murder involved. But yeah. Uh, and it's painful for women like you are. We've already touched on here about, you know, that what we're sold to minorities is this is to help you. We're helping you out. We're giving you a leg up. This is another lie that's sold to the people who are allegedly the underdog and the oppressed. It's painful for women are told to have casual intimacy, to have it like a man can have it, not like a man should have it, but the way a man can have it. And then if something goes awry. We're the ones who decide, yeah, we're going to have this kid and we deal with that possibly on our own. Or we're the ones who decide we're going to have the kid and give them up for adoption and feel that emotional pain. Or we decide, not the right decision, but to kill our kid. And then where I'm not saying fathers never deal with the emotional pain of that, but we're the ones dealing with the physical pain, possible future infertility. And it's, it's, the it's all the way around bad. What? Is it scarring of the uterus? I know that's a yes. thing. We act like it's going to get a tooth cleaning. You know, we call it healthcare and it's not. Healthcare doesn't end intentionally end a genetically distinct human life that's not your own. Uh, but we act like it's going to get a tooth cleaning and there's nothing else involved. And it, it's such a lie. And I wish that more women could wake up and see it. And if we stopped having so much, <laughs> you know, we if we just stopped having so much sex with people who we were not committed to, and I know that's a crazy idea, women specifically first and foremost and eventually men because what's good for women is good for men and vice versa but women first and foremost would be better off men aren't dealing with the effects of abortion only women are men are dealing with the emotional consequences very often when they want to keep the child and the mother says no but for the most part women are the casualties here and yet we fight for it like we're fighting for someone to stab a knife in our back it's crazy Insane. it's crazy i i see all these people like posting the tiktoks where they're at the abortion clinic and it's almost like they're treating it like they have a punch card to get a free sub like get number three yeah. abortion today and it's like i just think about those people in 10 years when they have a two-year-old just mm -hmm. like when it finally hits them just absolutely yeah. destroying them but it's interesting i saw a study I follow this channel. Uh, we're going to have him on the show at some point, um, a channel named Date Psych. And he's a, a fellow academic, but his specialty is um, the psychology of attraction and mating and all of that stuff. And uh, he just produced a study where he was basically polling people about emotional connection um, with the individual and how that correlates with orgasm and not to get you know perverse here or anything. But it was interesting because men 
like men did show that they have more orgasms with a, um, a partner that they have an emotional connection with, wow. but it wasn't a crazy, uh, crazy difference. Women, on the other hand, it was a, it was like 30% of women said that they can have an orgasm with, uh, without having an emotional connection. The vast majority said they need that. And I thought that was interesting because from my side of psychology, it's almost as if we're biologically designed like for women to, to be in a, a monogamous and I think men too, but like, um, like women in particular, cause like you said, they're the ones that bear the brunt of, um, the yeah. abortions it's all and you know promiscuous sex all the things that go in with that um it's almost it, like it's so clear that they're biologically designed not to just be sleeping around like it's you're <laughs> biologically designed to orgasm that's the you know sex is going good your body's responding well to this only when you have a emotional connection with someone which mm -hmm. you can't just forge overnight well you bond to uh, your your biologically does you can only carry one man's child at a time and for 9 months and even today it's it's a vulnerable position you can't work the whole way through but especially historically it was a very vulnerable thing uh to be pregnant and so it makes sense that we would fall in love with the men that we have orgasms with. And so women are going around like acting like the oxytocin doesn't exist and we don't fall in love with the people that we, I'm not saying it's, you know, like that necessarily, but a woman develops feelings for the man that she sleeps yeah. with, especially repeatedly. And that's totally natural and normal. And yet we have all these movies like No Strings Attached and Friends with Benefits and all this idea that. Uh, you can just have casual sex and he may even fall in love with you for it if you do it right away. And it's it's just not, it's not built like that. And I would venture to guess that even men, I've heard them say, I know that uh, orgasm might be different and it's much easier for a man to do that. So maybe he doesn't have to know her, love her, et cetera. But I think sex overall is much more pleasurable, less awkward. Uh, when you know the person, it's much more fulfilling. And yes, you may get off as either a man or a woman, especially a man, but sex is so much more than that. And it's like, eventually, I'm sure these people are going to come to a point and be like, wow, I, I empty inside. And yes, mothers deal with regret for their abortions. And then they feel guilty for having kids in the future, or they can't have kids in the future, whether that's related to their abortion at all or not. And it's just no one's no one is allowed to talk about it. It's it's very, very sad. Yeah, you want to clamp down on women's rights. But it is, it is great. It's, you brought up the, how you're in a very vulnerable position with when you're pregnant and this ties into mm -hmm. how it is. This is from a, an atheist perspective, just an evolutionary biology perspective. This is why I think you and I agree on a lot of the red pill stuff where they're saying, go sleep around. This isn't, this is not a good message coming from the feminist or coming from the manosphere because we're not designed yeah. that way. The, the way it's, it's worked and why I, I posit that uh, marriage is a, a natural behavior, a nat natural social evolution stemming from our biology. That's, you know, everything comes down to our biology. Um, back in the day, a woman, she needs help raising the kid. She needs resources, protection. Okay, well, how, why, how is she going to get a man to give that to her? Well, the man, he wants to pass on his genes too. That's our biology, pass on our genes, procreate. Well, the only way that she can ensure that he's going to stick around is to give him paternal certainty to basically he knows that he's expending resources on his children. Well, what's the way to do that? Monogamy. <laughs> so he mm -hmm. knows that she knows that she's getting that investment. He knows that that investment is going towards his kids. Boom. They call it a million different things in a million different cultures. It's marriage. It's a single mate pair bond. That is our natural status quo as a species. <laughs> And when you try, I'm glad to hear you say that as a, <laughs> some, and from a standpoint of evolutionary biology, because sometimes I, I don't know if it's men's natural point of view. I think it's better for them 
um, because it's better for society, but I don't know if it's men's natural. So I like the way you explain that. <laughs> yeah. Like dudes, you know, dudes are, um, it's, it's intrinsically easier for a, a woman to attract a mate than a man. So that's, mm. you can explain like men are hornier a lot. And that's why, cause they have to, they have to be hornier because women aren't coming up to them. So that's a natural thing where they, the, the manosphere tries to act like this is natural for a man to, you know, have 50 side chicks and be spinning plates. And it's like, well, actually no, he's supposed to find one cave woman and then they're, they're supposed to be together, but he has to work a lot harder to find a cave woman. That's why he's so much hornier and testosterone. Yes. And, like, and, you know, marriage, I mean, it's funny because I take everything with a grain of salt, especially that I read, but they say women are happier single, which I, I don't buy, but men, married men consistently live longer, are wealthier and report higher levels of happiness. Now, not if you've been divorced and taken for half your worth, which I understand is where the red pill manosphere's concern comes in and MGTOW, all that. I still don't think the answer is going your own way or sleeping with a bunch of women, but yeah. men who are happily married, which is still possible. There's plenty of good women out there and plenty of good men. Uh, they report much higher levels of happiness than men who are perennial bachelors. So it's it's just really not the way to go. And, you know, when we talk about what we naturally are, maybe men are naturally very horny. Okay. Women are naturally a little crazy and psycho, you know, and we try to, this is where my faith comes in because yes, we're not, we are called to imitate Christ. So yeah, I might naturally be a certain way, but does that mean that I have to use the people around me, use them as an emotional punching bag, expect the man in my life to take all my emotional ups and downs? No. So why would a man expect to be able to use the people around him, expect the woman in his life to deal with his side chicks, et cetera? The way that we are naturally behaving doesn't necessarily mean that that we're not animals, right? We are, a, we're animals, but we are a step above animals. And I think we all know that whether we're believers or not. And so yeah we're not supposed to act like animals. Otherwise we'd be clubbing each other and dragging them away and assaulting each other, to be honest. So we're refining, we're improving, refining our, yeah. you know, yes. we're fighting, whether it's from an atheist perspective or a Christian perspective, we're fighting against our, our natural impulses. Mm -hmm. That's what being civilized means. It, you know, trying to, to reject some of those negative aspects of our nature exactly. you know, works in progress, mm -hmm. whether I believe we're a work in progress because we're evolving or you believe we're works in progress because we're, you know, being tested by God or whatever you believe. It's like, either way we agree that like, yeah, it's you, your natural impulses do not, that's not always the best course of action for you. There's better ways mm -hmm. of doing things. Yeah. Uh, and we've spoken about some issues to do with freedom in this and Really, whether you think you'll ever be married or not, or whether you're ever married or not, we all sort of have a vested interest in in keeping marriage around and encouraging it. And I don't I think we do need to change some laws for men and for fathers. Uh, but marriage is foundational for strong families and strong foundationals are or strong families are foundational for freedom, you know. So when we're talking about keep preserving our American way of life and our freedom. That starts with families. And we all saw that the last few years, you know, the families who were strong and lived in communities and good homeschool, et cetera, they are much harder to get to bend the knee than like the single 40 year old living in the apartment by himself yeah. with a cat or whatever it is. It, it, it's, it's makes you less easy to control. And so even if you think, no, I'm never going to get married you should think that it's good and you shouldn't be encouraging men to not get married or or women for that matter because feminism did it first almost so none of it is good all the way around it's going to end up biting us all in the butt later on yeah well the nuclear family is the basic building block of society and yes. that is 
It's a good point. It makes you, when you're leading a, a household, you're a leader. You're not just passively going along. It's a lot easier when you are, you know, just living by yourself, playing video games, whatever, watching porn. Mm -hmm. Well, then you're not, you're not leading. You're not responsible for anything. When you have a family, that person's a lot harder to control because they're, they have a vested interest. They're leading, they're in control. They're not yeah. just a, a passive subject. And uh, yeah, it is absolutely a great thing for society. And you know, the, they talk about you, you had brought up the, um, the legal system being kind of, you know, touted in favor of women and it is, and that's a problem, mm -hmm. but there's some interesting stuff on that. Um, for one, like the reason those laws of like the women get the kids are there in the first place is because for a large percentage of history, women had far fewer rights. They were not sec complete second class citizens, but almost they a little bit were like the woman was never the one abusing the husband or anything. It was, you know, if a woman was getting divorced, then, you know, because the husband was was violent, that was, you know, obviously the court's going to side with her. So that was kind of the history that that's coming from. Obviously, things have changed today. Maybe we're a little bit more civilized, but when it comes to actual divorce itself, aside from the the whole kids thing, alimony, all that stuff that's maybe outdated, the vast majority, they say it was 70% of women file for divorce. First off, that's not that much more than half, but the vast majority of divorces, I can't remember the percentage, it's high 80s, I believe, are mutual. So like the women who are, are doing like, they typically do the paperwork and stuff, they're the ones to file. But when polled, most of the people say the divorce was mutual. And then on top of that, a big percentage of the people who got divorced, the women, it was because either abuse or neglect. And, you know, that neglect one is a little bit, that's a little bit ambiguous. That's not the right way of saying that, but uh, <laughs> uh, can't I can't I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, my point is this whole idea that like, most women, they'll divorce you and leave you and just take you for everything they have. That's not really the case. A lot of this, these divorce statistics, it's mutual divorces. It's guys giving up. It's 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 not just like women are a bunch of shallow gold diggers, which the, the red pill tries to make it seem like that. Um, now, when the divorce does happen, yes, women have way, way more rights. It's mm -hmm. The system is absolutely biased in, in terms of that. But as far as what leads up to the divorce, it's not as simple as just got this great husband's coming home, you know, being a good active husband. And then all of a sudden the wife goes, well, I want to go over here and hang out with this chat. I'm leaving you and taking half your money. That's not really a realistic portrait. I appreciate you saying that. That is true. Uh, it's overblown that in the way that men are promiscuous, that women are hypergamous, um, which is probably biologically true in, in some instances that women are interested in resources. But less so than, you know, than ever today, we we have access to our own resources, uh, which doesn't mean we don't want a man to provide. And I think that when they start talking about women, I don't I don't think divorce is um, the correct thing to do. Um, I, you know, abuse and infidelity are, are different things. Those aren't covered in the Bible as, as being a reason for divorce. So I'm not going to speak on that. But I think no-fault divorce is one of the worst things to have happened to this country. I think that you should have to prove to a judge whether people feel like that's a violation of privacy, that, yeah, there was abuse of some kind or there was infidelity or abandonment. But that said, um, I think that a lot of the reason that women file for divorce more often, another side of it, is that in back in the day, men just had to be providers uh, of resources. And now we have so many women working, going to college, et cetera, going to therapy, all of that. Not that men don't go, 
that I think women have now started to look to their partners to be a provider of emotional support and like emotional resources. And I don't know if men collectively have like caught up to that. And I'm not saying it's anyone's fault, but you know, in yeah. the Mad Men era, if he walked, if he stepped out on you, as long as he was providing a good home, like, what are you going to do? You have his kids, et cetera. If Don Draper was fooling around, but now it's like, I can take it and go. I can take some of yours as well. And I want you to continue to romance me. I want you to continue to pursue me. And I, so I think there's work that women have to do to maybe like grow up a little bit, but work that men have to do to grow up a little bit as well. Cause women want to be constantly pursued. And I think men have a tendency to be complacent. Like if there's peace, basically, then everything's cool, but she wants flowers and she wants date night and she wants this and that. And now a lot of that evolves as you have children, et cetera. But I think men in general have a tendency to just go to baseline and women always want more. And that's ultimately a good thing because I think that men have built the world. Men are in charge of the world and women inspired them to build it. I think if women weren't here, men would still be in caves maybe. So yeah. men are the ones that are out there doing everything amazing. What's that? Sorry. Yeah. I was saying, what do they say? Behind every great man is a great woman. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's like, and then they talk about how, oh, we could do without men. Well, no, we can't do without men. They do the most important jobs. They built all the infrastructure. Society would literally crumble if men just like disappeared one day, but they did all of that to get sex. <laughs> they did it all for women. And so it's like, in a way, it's good that women constantly want more. I think they, they inspire men to be the greatest men that they can possibly be. But I think that in a marriage, especially now when we're so into our therapy and all this, I think that it can cause a lot of issues because a woman wants more and a man is satisfied or his relationship is not his first and foremost reason for being. And women, our relationships are like our lives, not just romantic, but our we judge the quality of our lives by our relationships. So I think there's a lot of things about it. And yeah, you're, to your point, the red pill community like the feminist community, it distills things down into a very reductive idea that women are basically just robots who are ready to leave you for the next best thing, which really isn't true. And they themselves understand it because they'll say that a woman will go for, you know, the asshole who's broke, but he's six foot five or whatever, and women will do all sorts of stupid stuff. And so you're basically admitting that a woman <laughs> is really an emotional creature and she's not just out to get the richest guy or whatever it is, women are largely driven by emotions. And sometimes that causes them to do very stupid things. It's not, we're not robots looking for what can I milk out of you? And then I'm going to go milk it out of the next person. Yeah. That robot view. That's a very good point. They, you could tell a lot of the people who, especially in the comments of like the red pill videos, they've never been around a woman. It's like, <laughs> go, go hang out and talk with normal women. Most of them they'll tell you they want normal things. I like, I go to the gym and I look at the couples that are together and it's like a couple who the, the dude's kind of short, but he, you know, he's in shape. He works out. He's with a chick who for all intents and purposes is way out of his league, but it's like, <laughs> dude, he's working on bettering himself. Like the standard is not as crazy high as people like to make it seem no. to attract a woman. And it's not like women just care about resources. They, they bring up that 80, 20 statistic where, what is it? Like, 80% of men, women aren't looking for them. It's like, it's, it's based off of a study with what, like 27 female participants yes. on off. Like it's based it, off of nothing. You, no one ever cites a legit source for that statistic. Whenever they bring it up, it drives me crazy. And also that's a terrible thing to look at anyway, because I bring up online dating is not, not the real world. I know 
like not not to get into my personal um stories you know i'm in a, a relationship now but like in the past i've been a very wild boy um i'm not like <laughs> crazy you know model or anything i'm not super tall but i've never had a problem dating because i'm mm. i'm charismatic confident and i've mm. never had a problem dating I can tell. <laughs> thank you <laughs> when i go to online dating like because i've had dating apps in the past i i do not do well on online dating because it's just window shopping and like my my value for lack of a better phrase is not in these these shallow things i'm not rich i'm not that's mm -hmm. not what i bring to the table so it's like the real the if i just looked at the the dating statistics or I, if i just looked at the the data from my online dating experience i'd say well i'm a low value male this blah 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 but then I go out in the real world and I do just fine in the dating community. And I'm like, this is what people need to realize. The barrier to entry to get a woman to fall in love with you and to like you and to date you is not insane. It's mm -hmm. maybe you can't just be a slub eating Cheetos, playing, you know, being mm -hmm. obese on your couch. But the standard to get a woman, it's not as crazy as the Red Bull makes it seem. But I'm so glad you said that. That's uh, it's just a good point. Your anecdotal experience for real world versus online dating. Yeah. Um, and you're right. That thing is based off of a, a, a 2015 survey of 27 female Tinder users. And then there was a follow-up survey done by, I think it was OkCupid, that did show, it, it just showed a single photo. And it did show that women were way more harsh judging that photo, but they were more likely to talk to you, which maybe doesn't match your experience. And the men would rate most women as average, but they would only talk to the most attractive women. So point being that we're all pretty harsh online because online isn't the real world and i think online dating i know it's brought a lot of people <laughs> joy but i think it's really really unnatural and i think the worst of us come out because yeah then you see the height and you see her age and you see this and that and it's it's weird to be swiping through photos and i think that it brings out some kind of <laughs> baser instincts in us and of course there are very superficial people of either gender who yeah are gonna not go for you if you're not above six feet or you know, under the age of 22. And that's, that's life, but it's not as dire. <laughs> they make it sound like, you know, men of a certain height or a certain weight or a certain income bracket, just like never get married, you know, or he's lost all his hair. He's never going to get married. And it happens every day. That's what you know? I, that's so what I say is they're like, well, they, they're chasing the top 20%. I'm like, so 80% of men are, and women aren't married. <laughs> Only 20% of men are, are married. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But also the, those online, online sample sizes, like there's obviously plenty of normal people that do online dating, but you are going to have a disproportionate amount of like, it's not really representative of the regular public. Most of online dating, it's not necessarily real people in the sense that there's a lot of wackos there. There's a lot of damaged people. There's a lot of like, so to even try and use that to extrapolate that out, like as an academic, I would never do that because it's not, you wouldn't have what's called external validity. You wouldn't be able to to translate that data to the regular public because it's not a representative sample. So the fact that they use those yeah. statistics, I'm just like, it bums me out because people, guys that aren't out in the real world talking to real women and normal women, they maybe have one bad experience dating that sends them down this path. And then they, this is being reinforced by these studies. So now they think they have yeah. data on their side and they just get in this echo chamber and it's just, yeah, I don't know. We somehow got way off topic because I was, I was no, gonna... but it's relevant. It's important because it's, it's on the right a lot. This, this red pill thing, it's on the right. It's not left-wing men for the most part doing it. And yeah. so I, I think this is, I know your, your show is not necessarily political, but I'm sure a lot of people who are like-minded to me watch it. And this is something that affects a lot of times conservative Christian men and, and it shouldn't be, I get it. 
um, because I think there's a lot of heartbreak out there. And I know it's hard to approach women because of me too and all that. And you might be falsely accused. So I'm not saying I, it's an easy answer, but I appreciate your perspective as a man because everything you said is correct. It's not, <laughs> it's not that hard to make a woman fall in love with you. Yeah. If uh, this big hairy Neanderthal can do it, so can you. And he, <laughs> watching, you think it's impossible. But um, one real, one last thing I had on the uh, uh, the divorce statistics. That's interesting. You brought up that like maybe there's, um, you know, women are getting more. They're expecting more emotionally, and I wonder if that's mm -hmm. tied into a the the stigma kind of behind mental health and getting therapy and stuff like that. It's not really like in the eighties, you know, you'd be called a, a homo if you like even talk to your buddies about like emotions and stuff like that. But now maybe because that's not really the case, women are like, there's no barriers to you being more emotional. Mm -hmm. So I'm more understand, like I expect more from you. Yeah. But also another thing on top of that, that I was thinking about is the women, you know, women didn't work near as much back then. So like a lot of these guys who expect women, talking about being complacent in a marriage, they expect a woman to work a full-time job and then also be a caretaker because they don't want to do, they don't want to help with the household duties. That's women's work. And it's like, well, you know, we can talk about why women have to work now more and, you know, mm -hmm. inflation and all that stuff. But either way, that's yeah. a reality where like this idea of women just being homemakers, it's, if you can't really expect that out of a woman, if she's working a full-time job. You know, no, no. And that's not necessarily men's fault. I think it's by design that, yeah, it's it's almost the barrier of entry is so high now to be a single income family, um, which it used to be the norm. And you could afford like a really nice house and a car or, you know, all of that. And that's just not the case anymore. So um, it's it's unfortunate that because I think that's the ideal. You know, I understand women want to work. I don't think there's anything wrong with a woman earning money, having a part time job, working from home. There's no like mandate that a woman can't earn a dime or she's a terrible mom. But I think when you have young kids, especially the ideal is always going to be for you to be home with them as opposed to another woman or <laughs> daycare or something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it's hard now, you know, but you're right. So then it's women doing multiple things. And maybe the man doesn't want to help. Maybe she doesn't want to let him help. Maybe it's kind of like an emasculating thing for him to help. I have no idea. But it is, I think that we're really evolving very quickly. And maybe some things haven't caught up, you know, and I'm not saying every, I'm, every man should be expected to be like, emotionally in tune with himself. But the amount of women online I hear talking about emotionally unavailable men, or like narcissists, you would think every man was emotionally unavailable and every man was a narcissist. So just in observing, I think women are expecting different things from their partners that like our grandmothers didn't expect. And I'm not saying it's right or wrong, but I think that plays into this uh, high divorce rate that we're seeing that again is just a different perspective than, oh, women are robots who want to milk you dry. Um, yeah. I think women are just looking for that emotional support that maybe some men don't know how to access, don't know how to give, don't really know what she means. And uh, I don't know how we fix that necessarily, but I think that God comes into play because it he encourages you to stay and figure it out when there's no abuse, there's no infidelity, whatever, to stay and figure it out because marriage is not supposed to be, oh, we're just dating. And when we're no longer happy, we can just, you know, part ways. It's Marriage is a lifelong covenant. So. Yeah. Well, I wonder if a lot of dudes are too kind of insecure about it because there's, there is a lack, like we talk about um, masculinity being like, you know, uh, they're weaponized against masculinity now and it's a dirty word, but like, also I think that the right, uh, the people who are, you know, pro masculinity, there's also kind of a disconnect of what real masculinity is. I think that 
we've kind of we think it's a lot of these external things. Like I, I hate the whole thing of like, oh, man food, drink a man's beer, don't drink a white claw, eat wings. That's man stuff. I'm like, that means absolutely nothing. Like met if that's what your definition of a man is, then you're a pacified house cat. It's like <laughs> like when you know I was in the Marine Corps, it's like sitting there at night going out and murdering bad guys. And then we come back and my buddy has uh you know uh, a minions blanket because it's funny and he likes watching <laughs> Uh, the car he likes animated shows and it's like that's not a manly thing he could care less because he's a savage killer so it's like mm -hmm. there's a lot of this where like men they're not you know they're not learning how to fight learning how to shoot lifting weights so it's like even if they have a blue collar job it's like they're not doing those hunter warrior sort mm -hmm. of things so like for me personally i wear ridiculous gym socks i don't care because like you know marine corps played football was an mma fighter back in the day and i'm not saying like mm -hmm. oh i'm billy badass i'm i'm fat now and you know recovering alcoholic but um either way like i don't i never would be ashamed of like i would never be excited about oh i'm drinking a manly beverage or i'm eating a manly food or watching a manly movie <laughs> it's like that is so not what masculinity is to me i want to wear my crazy socks and watch the bachelor with my girlfriend when i come in from lifting weights <laughs> that's, that's fine with that like or love <laughs> is what we're watching now like I, like I, I think that maybe that's part of it where it's like there's there men not really understanding what masculinity is. So trying to put on this, trying to do the right thing, put on this masculine character instead of realizing, because, you know, like the the samurai used, I mean, I think we can all agree the samurai were pretty badass and masculine. They used to have balance. They would do poetry and they would draw little frilly flowers. Mm -hmm. And it's like how many American men today would say that's gay, but then also would not want to fight a samurai. So I think maybe yeah. that's. That's that's kind of a random tangent, but I've just like spitballing here wondering if maybe that's part of it is there's a lack of like true masculinity and people are overcompensating for it. Like there's a misunderstanding. I think that's true. Yeah, that makes sense. And that kind of goes back to this idea that, you know, men don't really have something to to make them a man necessarily to force them into being a man and the fatherlessness. And yeah, I think we mentioned earlier that women also are confused about, you know, what is femininity and, and a lot of women are trying to be a man. You know, we want to do everything men can do. And we've been trying to do that for decades. Uh, so I think there is in general confusion and, and we're all a blend, obviously, I, I don't want us to be androgynous or anything like this, but, um, and that kind of goes to the idea that when we talk about online dating, attraction is more than just his height or her age or whatever. And it's yeah. more than, are you really masculine or are you really feminine? We all, you know, know that we can fall for people who aren't our type or he's not this or she's not that. So I don't think online dating does a service to that, which is that we're we're complex, men and women both. And so these ideas of what a man should be or a woman should be, or, you know, women are all this one way and that's why we shouldn't get married. Um, it's very, like I said, reductive because we are human beings and we're all sinners and we're flawed and we're complex. You know, we're not blow up dolls and, and uh, toy GI Joes. So yeah. I think that's a really good point. And when you're secure in yourself, that that brings out different things. Yeah. Well, it is a good point about like, um, you know, we're all humans. We, it's okay to have deal breakers. Like, okay, mm -hmm. I'm not going to date someone with kids. If that's your deal breaker, okay. Mm -hmm. um, but at the same time, it this it is regressive, this view of like, I won't date anyone who's, uh, you know, I, just off the top of my head, um, has cheated on a significant other or something. Like, there's so many, that's maybe a bad example, but 
Um, my point is if I meet someone and it's like, yeah, I was in a abusive relationship and you know, I was young, I was immature. I didn't have mm -hmm. a father growing up and I was buying feminist lies when I was 21. I cheated on my boyfriend. That's a very different situation than someone who like is just a serial cheater and is just like, yeah, no, I don't know. I don't really like commitment. <laughs> so it's like, there's all these things where they have like these deal breakers of like, well, I would never date a woman who um, has a body count of this, or I'd never date a woman who um, is past this certain age. And I'm like, you're just, especially if you're struggling in the dating world, you're discounting so many people with these blanket arbitrary rules that humans are too unique to apply, especially when we're talking about a good mate and someone you're going to get along with. That's way too regressive to think that that's going to be a successful mating strategy to just sit there and wait for your perfect 18 year old virgin who also is fine with you cussing and drinking and, you know, <laughs> And is mature and doesn't have an OF and, you know, yeah. is ready to settle down. Yeah. Uh, no, I think that's a really good point. And I think men and women are both, um, you know, can fall victim to this. And hopefully as you get older, you kind of start to realize uh, different things matter. And I'm not saying you can't be attracted to what you're attracted to. And ultimately, I do think, you know, there's someone who checks most of your boxes out there as long as they're not super crazy. But it also, I know this wasn't your greater point, but I also just think like when you're talking about someone cheating on someone in their past or the body count. I just think it's so weird that people have this idea. I'm not saying you do, but it's like so many people online have this idea that we have to share like literally everything and you don't, you don't. And I'm not saying lie about your age. You know, you said age after that, obviously be honest about some stuff, but, and if she's made a video bragging about her body count, well, then, you know, and I think that's totally unadvisable, but this idea that, I mean, are people sitting around saying, this is the, this is my number. Cause I wouldn't want to know that. <laughs> <laughs> from yeah. my guy I don't want to know a number you know and so I just I think we've lost a lot of like mystery that our grandparents had and and just take it slow and let yourself discover the person and don't be in such a rush and but we've all been so heartbroken it feels like and we have so much baggage that it's like we need to know right away are you a whore or are you gonna do this or are you gonna do that and we don't just want to like slow it down a little bit and have discernment and trust yourself and trust the opposite sex to not be all completely, you know, crazy or completely abusive or whatever it is that you have That's this idea of them. A little grace for the specific situation. It's like, you know, we'll go to body count real quick. So let's say, um, you know, it comes up in conversation. I have to know. I'm like, this is an important thing for me to know. And okay. A woman's body count is 22, which I think most people, I, I don't know now if that's high, low average, but let's say that's, that's very high to me. And I go, okay, let's talk about this. Okay. Uh, well, I lost my, my virginity when I was 16, but I was sexually abused as a child. I, you know, didn't have a father as a role model, blah, blah, blah. Went through college, bought the feminist lies. Now I've come out of that. And on my own, I've realized this is, I was sold a, a bushel of lies. This is all nonsense. Now, a red pill guy would look at that woman and say, nope, washed up whore. I look at that and I say, wow, you've been through some stuff. I, I'm not happy that you've been with 22 guys, but also, wow, are you going to make a great mother who is going to make sure our daughter's not a whore and has taught good values? So it's like there's some of that grace where like, yeah, if you have your deal breakers and you can't get past that, okay. But also understand it's not as complex as or it's not as simple as just, okay, this means if you if you have this body count, you're a whore. Or if you've done this, you're you know a bad mate. It's 
it's so much more. Comfort. I appreciate that. That's great what you just said. And I think I've I've tweeted about that, but you're right. And I can't speak for men. Call me a simp for. (laughs) I know know. you'll be called a white knight and a simp. And I try to like stay away from the, I I go into cycles and then I need to like leave the red pill behind because they're vicious. But um, no, I mean, first of all, I would suggest, I, I, I know now it's like a trend to share it on TikTok. I would just, I would just suggest not sharing it, but you guys, you know, do what you want to do with your partner. I think there's too much that you lay out on the table. Um, but yeah, if a woman has that, and I think that that's such a good perspective of like, if she truly has changed and people can change, especially as a Christian, Christ makes things new. He doesn't restore your virginity. You know, I'm not saying that, but you, you do become new in Christ. You're supposed to become a new creation. You know, you're not supposed to just do the old thing and say, I go to church on Sunday and I'm a believer. And so that is absolutely possible. I've changed a lot, just politically speaking. I mean, people genuinely can change. Um, she will have a different perspective as a mother than maybe the woman who lived the the quote unquote good life her whole life and maybe doesn't realize how painful uh, casual sex can be or how casual sex doesn't really exist, you know, especially for women. So when you've had it firsthand, it's almost like, you know, having been an alcoholic or a drug addict or something, it's like, or you were fat and you're helping people get fit. You know, you, you have that perspective that is probably heartbreaking, but it offers something to children that maybe another woman or man can't offer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, we're we're (laughs) running out of time here. We've run the gamut. Yeah, we have um, basically a full page of notes, but we're not going to be able to get to them. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to have you back on if you're interested, because this has been really, really, I've really enjoyed the talk. I like uh, different opinions and uh, talking about all this stuff. But um, for right now, I want to go to our final video. But do you have anything else on the on the red pill stuff? Or we no, to- don't be red pilled unless it means that you walk away from the Democrat Party and then you can be red pilled. Yeah, be That's my final. Not <laughs> yeah. But um, so speaking of masculinity, this is our final video and we don't have any cool bumpers. We used to have bumpers for different things and then we decided not to do that. Uh, so now we just go to our final video. Um, this is what did I write about this. There are still some people with balls, even if they are insane. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So it's how to get rid of a wasp's nest is the title of the video. And it's not going to go how you think. You wanted him, bitch. Is that who you really wanted? You sure about that? Oh. It gets crazier. Oh my gosh. There he is, bitch. So the dude's obviously. Wow. Severely mentally ill or just the most badass dude ever. But I just thought that was funny. A fun little way to end the show. <laughs> talking about masculinity. But... Well, now if my guy doesn't do it like that, I just, I'm going to go to the next one. I'm going to go to the next chat. And the one <laughs> and put shoves it in his mouth. That's yeah. crazy. Is that real? I, Can you... I think so. Is he I okay? Photoshopped. I have probably not. I think he's probably dead, but not because of the wasps, probably from a meth overdose. <laughs> It is Florida, I believe. <laughs> but um, huh. anyway, you want to uh, tell us where we can find you. And in the, the editing, I could put up your handles and stuff like this, uh, where to find you, where to see what you're doing. Uh, yeah, I'm on uh, X and Instagram most often. NJ Beisner on X, Natalie Jean Beisner on Instagram, B-E-I-S-N-E-R. 
And uh, I'm on Rumble and YouTube and, you know, everywhere you can find me. I like to make short 90 second videos that uh, dismantle leftist logic. So you can find me there. Yeah. And good for fellas. If you have girlfriends that you're trying to red pill, uh, I would highly <laughs> advise it because it's got some good stuff and they like it when it comes from a woman. But um, thank you. Yes. Uh, for my plugs. Um if you watch this show, if you're listening on Spotify or iTunes, go Nobody's News on YouTube. Help us there. If you're on YouTube, go to Spotify and iTunes. That way you have a backup whenever we inevitably get uh, canned again from YouTube. Uh, go follow me on Twitter. I just started my Twitter, at author Alex Oaks. Um, really trying to grow, trying to get access to more people on there um, so we can have great interviews like this. So, um, yeah, help us grow on there. Um, it's pretty new, so it'll be the account with not a lot of people on it. But um, also, and I'll put this up because I don't have my paper copy of the book, The Sane Citizens Political Handbook. As of today, number one on the Libertarian Books on Amazon. Audiobook will be out in a week or so. It's just the, the review has passed now. They're just getting it up. So go check that out. We had it professionally done for the um, interior design for the, the audio book. It was professionally recorded. So I think uh, I think you'll like it. Um, if nothing else, it's pretty enjoyable to listen to. You can listen to it as you fall asleep or drive to work. But um, other than that, Natalie, thank you for uh, coming on. Uh, I'd thank love you. to have you on again if you're interested in the future. And uh, I'll I'll be in touch with uh, clips and links and all that stuff for anything you want to put on your social media. And I'll be putting this all over our stuff. Awesome. Thank you so much. Awesome. Have a great night. We got to go. We got to go.